coming up on the Brandon Podcast. Okay, class. Today we have a special guest to teach us about the history of Thanksgiving. She's a woman of indigenous heritage and senator for the state of Massachusetts. Class, please welcome Senator Elizabeth Warren. Thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Garglord. Hello, my fellow Native tribe members. I am Elizabeth Warren, but you can call me Pocahontas or Squanto because I'm gender neutral. Miss Sasquatch, can you just tell the story? Yes. Once upon a time, there was a group of people from England, the country of white supremacy, even today. They migrated to the New World as they boarded the Titanic, or whatever the hell it was called, the Mayflower. They set off to a three-month journey across the Atlantic to Plymouth. Soon after that, they made their way to Manhattan, and the wind swept them away to Plymouth Rock. As they got out of their ship, they emerged a city, to a city so great and beautiful, made by the indigenous people, and they decided to invade them and murder them in mass numbers with guns. See, this is just another reason we need gun control. Senator Warren, wasn't the village empty and they came into it in search for food? Silence, racist. I have the right to lie. I'm a Democrat. Anyway, as the pilgrims separated the native families living in peace and prosperity, they wanted to celebrate. So, they started a turkey genocide. They forcibly brought the natives with them to celebrate the genocide. And this tradition would happen every year until a bunch of bloodthirsty vegan leftist dykes with blue hair, pussy hats, and impeach 45 shirts showed up to make a difference. And that, that is the story of the first Thanksgiving. Senator Warren, but I thought you were one in 1,024th Indian, or 97% white, meaning you're whiter than bar soap, and you mooch off the welfare system and glue your heritage to further your career. Now, Timmy, what makes you say that? And if you let me cool you one time, you'll be my regular style. All right, boys. Of the Brown Podcast. Today we have AJ Trotta, Carter Norris, and Arturo Whipple on. Uh, Arturo and Carter, our tech guy, have been on a, the second episode? Yeah, the second episode. Yeah, the second. The second. Uh, we yes. had a good time. We're going to have another good time. Today's the Thanksgiving episode, and I'm really, really excited. We're going to talk about Elizabeth Warren and her indigenous heritage. And we're going to talk about. Um, what else are we going to talk about? We're going to get into that. The caravan? I don't know. We're going to get into it. Okay, so now it's time for, you guessed it, liberal joke of the day. How do you confuse a liberal? You don't. You don't. You don't. They're born that way. Ooh. True. Very true. 
Okay. And also, before we get into it, I apologize. Um, this is the Thanksgiving episode. This is posted on the 27th or 28th. I don't know yet. Um, but I apologize. Everybody was busy on Thanksgiving break. I tried to get it together. But we're going to be a lot more prepared for the Christmas special. Christmas episode. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, that'll be out, though. That'll be out on time. So, stay tuned for that. But anyways, getting into the news. This thing that has been trending on Twitter. Uh, the headlines for the plot past week. It's been widely talked about. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's about these three or four friends that went to Chipotle, and the manager pretty much demanded these people pay before they get their food. So this doesn't really seem like too big of a deal. I mean, I, I've been to Chipotle a handful of times, and I pay before I get my food. I mean, it's just the policy there. I mean, I don't know if you guys have, but I pay before I get my food. I mean, I don't go to Chipotle. You don't, don't want to get, like, famine, bro. Uh-huh. Yeah, but did you say famine? You're eating there. <laughs> Famine's a plague thing. That's when you don't eat. E. coli, AIDS, herpes. That's just a myth. What? Oh man. But. Really? Yeah. But anyway, getting. I know I'm gonna punch him in the nose. I'm gonna fly to Florida, punch Marco Rubio's face in. Anyway, getting back into the news. Uh, it's pretty much just the policy everywhere that you pay before you get your food. I mean, unless you're at like a diner or something, you usually pay before you get your food. Like, yeah, that's just how it works. I mean, but the reason this has been getting so much national attention is because these folks happen to be black. And then the whole kind of reason I brought this up is to talk about racial bias. So I, I just want to, so I just want to pull up this clip so you can get a general idea of the heated exchange. Uh, so here you go. Hold on. So what we gotta do? What we gotta do? Hey, cause you never have money when you come in. We here, never bro. have money. We got no money, bro. Look, can we just get our food? I just run off the Oh yeah. Bro, you know me, I pay here every freaking day I pay, bro. Let's not even worry about that. Can we get our food? I didn't even see her before. Well, I've never seen this. some crazy stuff. Well, I'm getting my food, bro. What? I'm doing this being mean. She's doing this making crazy accusations. Bro, what is this? She's doing this making accusations. Yeah. Y'all basically stereotyping us. Yeah. We don't pay. Okay, and I mean, this doesn't really seem like, like racial bias, if you've only seen the video once. I mean, it was originally tweeted out as, quote-unquote, can a group of well-established African-Americans get a bite to eat after a long workout session? At Chipotle tweets, and this is like a question to them. Uh, this was tweeted by at, by at Masood Ali. Uh, but, but if you watch this through a couple more times, you can see the manager said, quote-unquote, you gotta pay because you never have money when you come in here. Pretty sure that's how she said it. So, whether they don't pay when they come there, or they do, and the manager's just being a racist douchebag, I mean, the, let's be realistic. 
the, the four men could have just banned a doll, showed them the money, got the food, and walked away. And enjoyed their burritos or whatever they got. But, I mean, in a lot of ways, if you think about it, if you deeply think about it, this is just like the quote-unquote homophobic baker situation a couple years back. Uh, the gay walks into the baker, asks for a cake, and the baker says, no, I'll sell you a pre-made cake. But in this case, it's a white woman, I'm pretty sure she's white, uh, saying, no, you've done this before, just show me the money, I'll serve you. I mean, also, in this case, it's a bunch of petty leftists making a big deal and yelling at every or yelling every bad thing in society at the quote-unquote antagonizer. And coming back to the racial bias debate in America, I mean, th- this is just another chance for the left to call Republicans, and in particularly, their values racist, and that's 100% false. Republicans have never been the racists. It's always been the Democrats. And when I mean Democrats, I, I don't just call all of them racist. Because... Trump is the least racist president this country has ever seen. Yeah. Lowest African-American unemployment in the history of the United States. But I, I don't just call all of them racist. When I mean, when I mean Democrats, I, I... Look, I have a lot of liberal friends, okay? And, and none of them are racist. When, when, I call, when I call the left racist... He's not a liberal. He's just a Vox commentator with a lisp. But when I call the left racist, but black lives don't matter to the left, black votes do. The left created these systems and these institutions that ruin the lives of African Americans. And after the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Democrats knew they could not be upfront racist and openly discriminate against them. They knew they could do it behind the curtains and destroy them with FDR's socialist policies 30 years before, I'm directing it at their leadership and identity politics. Don't believe me? The single motherhood rate in the black community in the 1960s was at 23%. Today it's at 74 They knew how communities and families operate. Once you remove the father, you can, con- you can control the youth. I mean, they lied. They still do. The Republicans mistakenly handed over the education system to the Democrats, and they brainwashed us and covered up their tracks with the party switch. That's a myth. It's a lie. They told us that we began yeah, pen. That. Yeah. I never knew about the seventy-four percent of households are only women ran. Exactly, because they removed. When people don't have a father figure in their life, it makes it extremely poor. It, it makes it extremely difficult family unit. And it leads to mass homicide rates, to mass crime in the country. It's completely ridiculous. The father and the mother are equally important in the household. Mm-hmm. And, and without them, it's not a household. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's extremely important for that to happen. Yeah, and getting off... Sorry. Studies will prove it. I don't have any uh, details with me, but studies will prove Children who grow up in a stable home environment with both a mother and a father are going to be more successful than, uh, mm-hmm. than children who grow up without and will socially a, fit a in society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this is getting off topic. This this is what feminism does too, and it's and this is what gay adoption does too. I don't know if you agree with that, uh, Arturo, or excuse me, Carter. I know you're more centrist, AJ. I don't know about you either. If you agree with it, feel free to talk too. You've been very quiet. You're, you're the guest. Yeah, I don't know if you agree with it, but but the gay adoption does the exact same thing. It removes the father from the. Oh, depends. But still, the father, like you just said, the father and mother are equally, um, 
important. And once you remove one of them even from the uh, from the household, in this example in the black community, it's been the father, you can control the youth. More so with the father. But it's, it's, this is... Yeah, well, fathers are supposed to be the disciplinarians. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, anyways, I mean, they told us we could be... What am I saying? Yeah. They told us we began pandering to these white racists in the 60s, but the truth is, Republicans were actually competitive in the South as early as 1928. They told us that these angry and disgusted white racist Democrats left and joined the Republicans out of spite and anger. That is 100% false. How many Democratic senators switched after the Civil Rights Act in 1964? Anybody know? One. 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 That's all. And they told us, after this flip, that the GOP has dominated in the South. That is just another lie. Republicans did not hold a majority of Southern seats until 1994. So you're telling me it took 30 years for the, for the right to become evil and racist. This is why the black community in America is so far behind. The Republicans are the party of Lincoln, and they always have been. So I say this now, any Republicans listening to this, listen, the next time you go out and you stereotype the black community as stupid losers, remember to think twice on how they got there and who got them there. The Democrats. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, um, I think really, you know, you talked a little bit about identity politics, and I think, you know, the obvious thing, you're starting to see more numbers of African Americans who are starting to become right wing, have right wing ideals, mm-hmm. because the Democrats have done nothing to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're starting to really see a trend in, of Trump supporting. African Americans, and you know, I like to. I'd rather just call them Americans, but you know, we to describe this group more. Um, I'll use that word, but you know, as we have to on the right, we have to learn how to accept identity politics and how we can work with them. You know, I love Ben Shapiro, but when I listen to him talk, he he doesn't like identity politics, but, you know, some other commentators that I really like to listen to, like James Elsup, you know, has a lot of supportive points of why the right needs to use identity politics. And I think we really need to do that to get the black vote this next coming election. I don't think Trump tried hard enough to do, and I think it's why we lost. I wouldn't say it's the only reason we lost the midterms, but, you know, I really think conservatives have to work as hard as they can to go out there and get those minority minority voters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't I agree with that. I, I'm more on the Ben Shapiro side of identity politics and intersectionality. Uh, if you Anybody who's listening to this doesn't know what intersectionality is. Yeah. Intersectionality is pretty much this bullshit leftist ideology that says the more of a minority and the more you've been quote-unquote oppressed, sometimes in some cases it's you're oppressed, then the better you'll be treated in society. Uh, so pretty much at the bottom of the scale, it's the white, the white Christian male because he's the one that's came in and has destroyed a million cultures and whatever and countries. And then at the top of it, it will be a black tranny Muslim transgender woman. So that would probably... Yeah, is she a Muslim too? <laughs> is she? Is she a Muslim too? Oh my god, I didn't know that. Uh, But that would be at the top of the scale. 
And then a, a, a one-up from a white Christian male would be a white Christian woman. So it keeps getting kind of, you know, higher. But that's pretty much what it is. And it, I, I don't know if you agree with this, Arturo, but identity politics, I'd say, I, how I describe it, is identity politics in general is just saying this this uh, group of people I belongs to my political ideology and my political party. And it's completely divided this country. It's tearing this country apart. And pretty soon our social fabric, and it's part it's part on Donald Trump's fault. I mean, it's not not hugely. But I don't think he's dividing the country. I think it's divided already before he got office. Exactly. But if I could vote in 2016, and this was 2016, November 7, 2016, or, yeah, 2016, and then I, I was 18 years old, then I'd, I'd, I wouldn't question voting for him, but I would kind of question what he's going to do for our social fabric and our ability for one American to have a, a reasonable and civil conversation with a other American. And, I mean, listen, the the... The last civil election, if you really want to get into it, was the election of 2000, the stolen election, quote-unquote. Uh, but in the, in, the, in the one election that really, really damaged our social fabric was the election of 2012, just because there was so much identity politics involved with Joe Biden uh, calling Mitt Romney, saying he wants the blacks back in chains and everything else. But that really hurt this country. And not just the results of it, but what happened in it in the campaigns and the causes of the results. But it's just destroying this country, and it needs to be addressed. And I, ho- I hope Trump, hopefully for a second term, he uh, is very, I don't want to say Reaganized, but Reagan was better for our social fabric. So I hope he's more focused on the social fabric. Plus, his well, poll I numbers, his approval rating would go up 12%. of it. If they get lower than 85%, the Democratic Party is collapsing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it's still like only eight percent. 
percent of black, only eight percent of the black population, um, voted Trump, voted red. They say that. Well, I thought. I thought the black vote was up to. I thought it was twelve percent. I don't know. Was it? Yeah, I think they got eighty-eight or eighty-nine or whatever percent. The Democrats got that, but that's extraordinarily low. If you look at extraordinarily low, sorry. If you look at uh, the twenty twelve election, Mitt Romney, I believe, got ninety five or, or excuse me, five percent of the black vote. Obama got ninety five percent, and even Mitt Romney just gave up and flopped on the uh, on the on the black vote. But uh, this she campaigned in California. She had ran an awful campaign, but. Did you have anything to say? You've been awfully quiet. Nah, just, you know, I think it'd be good if we can get, like, you know, the, the like, like, you know, like, minorities, you know, to mm-hmm. vote red. That'd work. That'd be really good. Because mm-hmm. okay. And you know what would, like, tremendously, um, help the Republican Party by a landslide? What? Yeah, and that's just another thing. Uh, I, I don't want to. I, I doubt they Yeah, and what I understand that they're not going to take over America. Yeah, this isn't the 1100s. It's not like uh, it's the Crusades, right? Yeah. I mean, kinda. I mean, no, I wouldn't say so. Yeah, getting to that, but I hope. And Stephen Crowder, a conservative political commentator. I I mean, I really like the guy. I listen to his podcast uh, every day, pretty much. But he's probably my favorite commentator. Uh, Just throwing that out there. If you uh, like comedy and conservatism, but um, he wrote a column saying, and I 100% agree with this. He wrote a column saying that Islam needs to have a civil war as bloody as the United States. And if in reality, and a lot of people are very extreme on Islam, and I'm not making gross generalizations about the American people, I understand why you're scared. They attacked our country. They killed 3,000 people on September 11th. One day, not even a Two hour, what was it? Four hour period, not even. They killed 3,000 people. Listen, I understand why you're scared, but only 300 or 400 million Muslims are radicalized, okay? And if they all were, we would all be dead, okay? But what I'm saying is Islam needs to have a bloody civil war against the fundamentalist vision and the establishment vision of Islam. And I think they'd be a very peaceful religion. And I think they would be the religion of peace or re- one, of a re- one of the religions of peace. But they need to shift away from that fundamental- fundamentalist vision. Understood, but they need to...
need to go beat your wife. Okay. Yeah. Understood. Come but on, I, I understand why you're scared, and I understand why other Americans are scared. But I'm not sitting there defending the fundamentalist vision of Islam and what Muhammad presented it as. They need to have a civil war. They need to have the people speak. Um, the people of Islam speak, and they need to kill the fundamentalist off. They need to kill the radical Islamic terrorists off. And I think they'd have a very peaceful religion, and I think the world would progress greatly. And it puts Israel in a position where they can, you know, somewhat colonize these groups. And, you know... I think Israel would have a great shot at taking back Palestine again. It is their land. You're right. Yeah. But... Uh, they take the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but moving on, we'll we'll have another debate about identity politics and all this. I really, it was very deep, just like the Vox yeah. commentator in the really? locker room. Yeah. But <laughs> okay. So moving on to our next rant is Michael Avenatti. So Michael Avenatti, aka creepy lo- porn lawyer. He's famous for suing President Trump on behalf of Stormy Daniels, a.k.a. the lying whore. So, Avenatti has said that he will run and beat President Trump in 2020. Instead, he beat his wife. Yeah. On Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but, uh, his hands. He's got strong hands. Okay, so, uh, on Tuesday night, the 13th, Avenatti allegedly struck his wife in his apartment building, and she had marks on her face. It was swollen, and she covered uh, her face around witnesses. On Wednesday, Avenatti kicked her out of, uh, of his apartment that they shared. So, it was their apartment, actually. Uh, also, on Wednesday night, so this is Wednesday night, she came uh, back to retrieve her belongings and called the cops, wanting them there in case stuff got heated. And she was standing on the sidewalk when people heard her sobbing on the phone, screaming, qu- screaming, quote-unquote, I can't believe you did this to me. I'm going to get a restraining order against you. Uh, security heard this, brought her inside the building, and took up, uh, took her up to the elevator unit. And short time later, creepy porn lawyer Avenatti came running in, screaming, quote-unquote, She hit me first! This is bullshit! And then the police came to the back door and questioned him in the corner of a lobby, or a corner of the lobby, and they took him into custody. So, well... I, I, yeah, uh, but I got this from TMZ, too, and I didn't know they were a news source, like a legitimate one. But... Yeah, but, um, my outtake of this is, imagine if this guy was president. I mean, no, North Korea shot down our fighter jet first, Mr. UN Ambassador. This is bullshit. I had no choice but to nuke Pyongyang. I mean, imagine what the police, like, like asked him. Well, who, well, who hit second? Uh, no one. I know. He'd be Bill, Bill Clinton part two. AJ, do you have anything to say? Also, AJ, is that your profile pic? Like, is that you when you were little? <laughs> no. <laughs> it looks no. like you. No, yeah, I know. It's like this like, some fat kid on her. <laughs> on Google. It's, it's yeah, it's Carter T. Posing. Yeah, so getting back into this. And the... Yeah, no, getting back to this, like, the thing that's hilarious about this whole thing, is that Avenatti's a big Democrat, meaning he supports the party of feminism and FSJWs and hashtag me too. And the fact of the matter is that a Democrat has the ability, the same ability as a Republican, as these evil conservatives uh, have, 
to assault a woman, a woman, and woman, and Republicans have the ability to elect Marsha Blackburn and nominate nearly elect Martha McSally. And you don't hear us going around yelling, ladies, grab your pussy. I mean, listen, Republicans aren't sex. We support women. I mean, that's just another reason to back why the women's unemployment rate is the lowest in 60 years. And no, it's not because people have two jobs, according to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Just throwing that out there. She is so stupid. She doesn't even know the three branches of government. Did you see that Twitter video? She's a re. She's an utter tard. She's so stupid. Like, oh my god. She was like. I mean, she is so stupid. She's. I mean, this that person is in our government. Just another great move by the Democrats. I mean, did you see that video though? She was saying, she was like, okay, the three, uh, no, she was like, uh, the three branches of government, the Senate, the House, and the presidency. She's so stupid. The Senate, the House. I, I didn't even know about, um, uh, whatever it was, Stormy Daniels, like, lawyer, or whatever you said, like, being his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't even know about that, but if it was, like, on the other side, like, uh, a Republican doing it, they uh-huh. would have gone, like, like, the news would have gone crazy about it. I know. And CNN really didn't want to record it. You could see it in Don Lemon's voice. You could hear it. But, yeah, and Stormy Daniels even came out saying if he actually did this and I'm firing him. Well, sorry, Stormy. Looks like you're going to fire that son of a bitch. I have a quote. Really? I have three months without a salary before I'm a member of Congress. So how do I get in an apartment? Things are very real. End quote. I wake up every day and I'm a Puerto Rican girl from the Bronx every single day. And quote, sounds like Cardi B. Okay, now it's time for our final and probably, hell yeah, probably, it is our most controversial topic of the night. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving 2018. So as you know, Thanksgiving is an American and Canadian tradition to celebrate the pilgrims and expressing our thanks with family and, of course, watching football. But not according to the left. According to the them. Thanksgiving should be a day of mourning, as Seattle school officials famously said back in 07. But before we get any deeper, I've said deeper a lot in this episode. Have I not? I'm disgusted with myself. Anyways, before we get any more into it, we're going to read and break down this article by this crazy and special leftist by the name of Jemani Elston. It's titles titled why african and native american shouldn't and then under that under that the subtitle type thing says in the u.s these holidays haunt minorities ah so right off the bat no not really these holidays such as thanksgiving and columbus day really created the very fabric of the melting pot we know today wait a minute it's not didn't those evil white supremacist racists create the hypocritical constitution well, that a hypocritical constitution, quote-unquote, 
planted the seed in people's head throughout history, such as the Civil War and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Equal Pay Act of 1962. It, it, it planted the seed in their head that they needed to innovate the Constitution and really enforce all men and women are created equal. And, by the way, the left fought for the exact opposite of that, which I talked about earlier in this episode. So, here it is. Ugh. In early childhood education, we are taught that America is a melting pot where people of all different races can come together and be accepted for our differences. A melting pot can be defined as a country, locality, or situation in which cultural assimilation results in blending the heritage and traditions of previously distinct ethnics. ethnic groups. The definition of cultural assimilation is a process by which members of an ethnic minority group lose cultural characteristics that distinguish them from the dominant cultural group or take on the cultural characteristics of another group. Okay. In the case of minorities in America, we often lose our sense in self in culture and are compelled to follow the culture that America has established. There are certain holidays that America recognizes, such as Cinco de Mayo and St. Patrick's Day, but both of these holidays are victims of cultural appropriations. Yikes. When Americans, when Americans dress up as Mexicans and leprechauns as an excuse to get drunk and have a good time, Ooh, okay, so cultural appropriation. So cultural appropriation. So if you didn't know, this was the first one coming up. I don't know what you were thinking. Okay, so I did a whole segment on this in the first episode. So to sum it up, cultural appropriation is this bullshit leftist term that says the white man cannot dress up as any other culture because it's disrespect and it's disregarding the struggle and oppression that every other culture besides the white man's has fought through. So just like I said, it's BS. It's completely goes against freedom of assembly and thought. And even though if the white man dresses up as any other culture, 90% of the time the opposite culture will okay it simply because you're celebrating their culture. I, I showed this clip on the first episode of Will Wade of PragerU, which is a conservative news site going on, I believe, UCLA's campus, and asking if they like his Mexican costume. You want to know how many didn't? Everyone besides one on the UCLA campus. And that one was a Mexican. And then he went to Olvera Street, which is this area famous for his authentic Mexican, uh, for its authentic Mexican culture, and asked the same question, and every single one said they loved his costume. So to sum it up, just because the blue-haired leftist dyke at Pride doesn't okay it, doesn't mean the entire culture, which is the so-called quote-unquote victim, is offended by it. It's intersectionality, too, which I explained earlier in the episode. I, I mean, I think people just like to do that nowadays, just for, you know, their I, I just... Yeah. It offends me because he's so tall, like, not tall, but, like, big. Mm. It's like, I, I, I just think this is... Yeah, AJ. I think this is just mm. super ironic. Mm. Yeah, AJ, you're 100% right. I mean, have you ever had a conversation with a leftist? Like, it's, it's an out-offending competition. I don't know how to describe it, but it's agonizing. Every time, like, I not even debate, but just, like, have a conversation with the leftist, it honestly usually ends with me getting called racist, despite the fact that I'm clearly Hispanic. I get called racist, sexist, even though I think women are equal to men, and I think all races are equal. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, it's really just, like, a virtue signal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but... Mm-hmm. To get people to go against me. Yeah. And anyone who debates me. Yeah, so the next part says, 
African Americans celebrate the 4th of July for uh, the anniversary of the Declaration of Independence in 1776, but slaves weren't freed until 89 years later. Many African Americans do not even acknowledge, I can't even talk, Juneteenth. I doubt that. But, I yeah. Doubt that they don't go to the 4th of July. No, it, yeah, it, the, many African Americans do not even acknowledge, acknowledge Juneteenth. That's probably oh, Juneteenth. Oh. not true, but we're going to say they don't. Well, actually, a lot of them don't, but, you know, they're start, we're starting to see, like, a rise mm-hmm. in that. Well, mm-hmm. I guess 2016 was its peak, I'd say. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, but, but it's important to, uh, to our history as black Americans. Why do we, okay, so she's black, so I'm guessing, okay, we're just gonna go, they don't really celebrate it. Uh, why celebrate a document that didn't grant us any rights or privileges? Just like I said at the beginning, okay? Yes, it was wrong for the founding fathers not to enforce all men and women are created equal, but like you said, it's important to know your history. Slavery was a major debate in the Constitutional Convention. Listen, the South wanted it, the North didn't, okay? You act like they wanted to screw the black community for generations to come. No. That would be the Democrats' job. Also, it's important to know that the Democrats voted against uh, abolishing slavery. And remember, the parties didn't switch. Same old Democrats. Democrats voted to abolish slavery. Exactly. And why would they? And the Democrats tried to stall as much as possible the Equal Rights Act of 1964. They tried to stall for 89 years. Mm-hmm. But now they have this behind-the-curtain racism with their nice tool of intersectionality and identity politics but next part says thanksgiving in the african-american community is a huge family gathering and important holiday should we recognize thanksgiving as a holiday school textbooks have long fantasized about thanksgiving day as the pilgrims and indians time to come together for a great feast actually in the year 1637 massachusetts colony governor john winthrop declared Thanksgiving to celebrate the safe return of the colonist volunteers that left for war against the Pequot Indians. This war resulted in the massacre of 700 Pequot Indians. Instead of telling the real story of Thanksgiving, American history is kept covered in in order for us to believe that the pilgrims and colonists got along with the Indians, and they lived in perfect harmony. The Trail of Tears and the Pequot War, along with many the, the many other massacres of Native Americans, are barely even mentioned. On top of that, for Native for Thanksgiving and Halloween, many white Americans dress up as Indians, which is nothing but a mockery of what Indians went through in the Americas. Brian dressed up like an Indian. Yeah, I dressed up as an Indian. Hell yeah, I did. The very noble one, Elizabeth Warren. I'm actually wearing it right now. Yeah, I'm wearing my one in one thousand twenty fourth shirt. Papa has high cheekbones. But anyways, if you're discussing early America and the colonial excuse me, sorry about that. I'm not thankful for that phone speaker thing. But if you're discussing early America and the colonial conflicts with Indians, you can always count on them using words like genocide and massacre. In this case, it's massacre, but it's important to define these terms. So massacre, according to Marion Webster, which is pretty non-biased source, I'd say so, Mary Webster, is defined as, quote-unquote, an indiscriminate and brutal slaughter of people. Yes, this sounds like a massacre, but it's important to know that there were no outright policies of Indian extermination. The Native Americans were mostly wiped out with infectious diseases that the settlers has, had inadvertently brought with them. Also, 
If you look a little bit more closely at the history books, you'll see that these quote-unquote massacres really aren't massacres. They're exact. They're the exact opposite, actually. They're just one-sided battles. Wounded Knee, for instance. There were 150 to 350 Indians total wounded. Yeah, that, that's awful, right? I'd say it's awful. But take a look at the 25 Americans killed and 39 wounded. That doesn't convince you. What about the Battle of Wabash? Of the 1,000 U.S. troops General Arthur, Arthur St. Clair led into battle, only 48 are known to have survived unharmed. Not to mention, the defeat was so bad that nearly half of the U.S. Army was dead or wounded. On top of that, President George Washington ordered St. Clair to resign. That's not usually the way a massacre goes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's... Yeah, it's, the Indians kicked our butts, man. It was one-sided battle. They, they were they're good fighters. Bro. I know. If we had... I, would, I don't want to compare modern technology to the natives, but if there were actual policies of genocide and extermination, I'd say we would have probably won. The, the Indian Wars ended when? 1902, roughly? 1903, 1904? I'd say we probably would have wiped them all out by 1860. Because you take out the home front, and they're screwed. It's just basic battle tactics. It's I don't want to call it battle tactics, because just it's evil. But it's basic things. Go look at the Holocaust. The Nazis the Nazis just definitely didn't march into towns and kill Jews in mass numbers. Definitely not. If we would have done that, we would have d completely taken over Indian land, probably at 1855 or 1860, somewhere around that. Uh, but moving on to the next part. Although, as African Americans, Thanksgiving doesn't fully mean anything to our race. It does relate to the struggles and massacre that we endured in early American history. The massacre of the Indians can be related to not only the years of slavery that we endured, but also today the conspiracy to cover up the harsh details of not only the treatment of Indians, but also the treatment of Africans. We often see the same pattern today with the many deaths in the black community and the effort to cover up facts and details. In grade school, we are taught about the Holocaust and all the evil that things that happened under Adolf Hitler's reign, but we are never taught about the true story of Thanksgiving or even the internment camps that the Americans place quote-unquote suspicious Japanese people in during World War II. In America, we are forced to learn <clears throat> of the negative actions that take place in other countries, but never our own. It is important to not only understand the background of the national holidays, but also to do personal research to find real facts on American history. So first off, do not even blame the education. We did. Okay. Yeah. Do not blame the education system for misinforming and brainwashing more kids. The education system is as far left as it gets. About last week, I think, I, Carter, I think, and AJ, I think you're in the same class. I had a teacher talking about why the electoral college is evil and why it needs to be abolished. How could you even complain? And secondly, what details covered up? Everything's out there for you to see. Arturo, everything you're saying, slavery, everything we learned, we learned about that a couple times in school. Thirdly, I think this lady actually makes somewhat of a good point here, but it goes against it goes against her party's policy. Yes, these Japanese internment camps were awful, but who signed Executive Order ninety sixty six, empowering the U.S. Army to designate areas from which all or any 
or excuse me, which any or all persons may be excluded and later form the War Relocation Authority to establish 10 permanent camps housing 120,000 Japanese Americans, two-thirds of them being native-born. It wasn't a racist Republican. It was FDR, this famous president for his progressive socialist policies. And just remember, there was no party switch. Yep, these awful policies remained in act until nearly 1945, and it would take over 40, er, 40 years until Reagan, the Republican conservative populist, signed the Civil Liberties Act of 1988, paying reparations to each victim of internment. And lastly, you said we are always forced to learn the negative things in other countries, but not ours. You are completely wrong. Every single leftist or even liberal I've heard of has constantly and repetitively bashed America for perhaps not being a socialist democracy, not having the electoral college abolished, not having socialized medicine, not having the nationalized education they want, not raising the minimum wage, not having gender studies as an actual career, not having free college tuition like failing Sweden and Denmark, not having every last Republican in the country censored, not having gun control, not having Trump impeached, not being more like every country in leftist failing Europe, not having a sanctuary country, not having social justice, having innocent before proving guilty, and last but not least, the goddamn constitution. The left will constantly bitch about this country until they get their way. There's never any positive input about living in the greatest country in the history of mankind. And I'm not saying that because I live in it. I'm saying it because we are the greatest country in the history of mankind. Look it up. Research. We are. And for you to sit there and say that I don't understand the very background of our own national holidays just makes you an idiot. Oh, and did I say idiot? I meant mentally retarded. That's a little uh, edgy. Yeah, I know. But... You can say retarded. Retarded means slow. Not chromosome disease. You leftist twats. Yeah. Anything to say? Yeah. Yeah. Else? You know, the English Empire used to be one fourth of the entire world. <laughs> now there's a literal size of Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and AJ, do you have anything to say? Welcome to London, <laughs> Okay, uh, and before we sign off, I'd like to tell everyone the actual story of how the Pilgrims got to Plymouth, as your gender studies professor probably lied to you. <sighs> so once upon a time, a group of Pilgrims fled from England to Holland and stayed there for about a decade. Holland also happened to be the most tolerant nation in Europe at the time and a safe haven for religious dissenters. I said that word. Uh, the colonists feared seduction, not persecution. They feared their children would be corrupted by the Dutch culture, uh, so they packed up and headed for the wilderness America. Uh, they left not because of oppression, but because they were running toward a land of religious holiness. They initially headed toward Manhattan, but the winds and waves pulled them toward Plymouth, near the ideal location for their settlement. Reason being, it was a deserted Indian village with cleared land, stored corn, and a reliable source of fresh water. Yep, your professor lied. They never invaded the village. They even wanted to pay back the natives. But they could only find someone because the former inhabitants died off from smallpox. And then a few months later, a surviving Indian by the name of Squanto was perfect for the job. He spoke English and was a Christian, and was a native to the village before a ruth ruthless sea captain captured him and sold him into slavery in Spain. After four years, he, would he was freed by monks, made his way to England, and sailed across the Atlantic to find his friends and family gone. So through the next few months, Squanto helped the English newcomers plant 
crops and negotiate a friendly trade agreement with the region's most important chief, Massasoit. The programs held a, fe- held a feast on October in October with 90 Indian warriors and the 53 remaining pilgrims. In the American imagination, they never built Plymouth into a giant colony. A nearby Boston with, Mass- with the Massachusetts colony swallowed up Plymouth. The end. Yeah. 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 That's all. That's all. Yeah. Any last comments? Any last whatever? Any last debates? Any whatever? Well, uh, I know we were supposed to talk about the caravan, and obviously we didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd just like to say that I, mm. um, they're saying these people are escaping for refuge. We're going to uh, cover that in the next episode. They're, they're poor and they can't eat. When I see these pictures of these people, honestly, they're mostly overweight people. Yeah, I know. I, I saw that. The lady was in a Dora Explorer shirt. shirt or not Dora oh, Explorer. It was, it was a... Why did I say Dorothy Explorer? Uh, I mean, what was it again? It was some, like, I, I don't know. What was it? I saw it. It was Frozen. Frozen, that was it, yeah. Dorothy the Explorer. <laughs> I can say something bad, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> you probably know what I'm thinking, but nope. Nope. Um, he used tear Hey, that's the other thing. He used tear gas multiple times. Mm-hmm. And... I find it funny, but if you look at the picture, you see you see the lady running away with her kids, and then you see in the background these people stoning border agents. And I find it so hypocritical that they're peaceful newcomers, but they're really trying to kill the very people that protect this country. Mexico offered to give them refuge. The, the people are pissed in them. They're coming here because George George Soros. Probably paid them to do it, and they want their money, and they want they want all the benefits that come with living in America. They want the right to vote, even though they're not. Forty nine percent of illegal immigrants are on the social welfare system. They want welfare. Forty nine percent. Yeah, they don't come in here and they work and they have lower crime. Also, thirty eight percent of them have committed a crime, exclude them federal crime, illegal immigration. You know, every Yes, because illegal immigration, 38%, and 11% of them have committed violent crimes. 11%, that's a staggering number. But, yeah, and it's, it's, it's just funny to see them come. And the people in Mexico, the right-wingers of the Conservative Party of Mexico, they're pissed. And they really are. And, uh, yeah, 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 they, they can't even apply for refuge status. I mean, Mexico, these Democrats are so stupid, okay? They don't even understand the, how refugees and the refuge system thing works, okay? The country they're migrating from has to be in a state of emergency. Mexico is not in a state of emergency. I could move to Mexico tomorrow if I was, I don't know, above 18 and I had the passport and everything needed. I could, have, I could live in Mexico tomorrow and I, I could have not as good as a life as America, especially if I would live outside the resort area. But it would be probably a pretty rough life. But... I could still live a life without 100% being murdered, okay? They're not in a state of emergency. I don't believe any of the Central American countries are. And isn't Venezuela in a state of emergency? I believe so. And guess what? They're socialists. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I heard, but I heard it, that. Uh, I heard that uh, to get by, uh, some of the Venezuelan citizens 
had to go on RuneScape, um, an online MMO game from like 15 years ago, and um, farm on there to get in-game currency, which can um, then get uh, turned into uh, real currency, and that's that's basically how they get by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, AJ, do you have anything to say? I saw a tweet, and we're going to get way more into this in the next episode, because I'm 99% sure we're going to talk about the caravan. Again, because I think we did a, a, a one in the first episode. I'm pretty sure. I'll have to look back. You can go look back. Go check it out. It's on si- SoundCloud. I might get it up on iTunes. I don't know. But it's on cl- SoundCloud. I'm probably going to get it up on iTunes. I don't know. But anyways, I saw this tweet that I was saying, I mean, it's actually geographically, like, yeah, yeah. But... I mean, these hundreds are half the way to Venezuela than they are the United States. Why didn't they just go to Venezuela if socialism worked? Because it doesn't. Because socialism doesn't work, and they think it will. They think socialism has never been implemented correctly. Hundred countries it has destroyed. A hundred million people it has killed. And a hundred cultures it has destroyed. Yeah. Socialism has never worked, and it never will. And, you know, I do think things like social security need to stay in place. Mm, I do okay. think social welfare, in some aspects, needs to stay. Mm, okay. I don't think those are forms of socialism, necessarily. But what I, I think, you know, we need, what we've been doing recently and as a country is we're getting people off their asses we're putting them in factories we're putting them wherever they need to be and we're saying you have an opportunity to put your life in a position where you can make money where you can succeed and people are doing it and families are getting higher incomes they're having to pay less taxes it's a great time to be an american right now yeah it really is you're right as far as policy goes, I think Trump has been doing great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Can, I hope the Democrats continue to be socialist. I I really hope the Democrats continue on this downward spiral they've uh, been on. And to be honest, make this oh. going. To be honest, Democrats wouldn't be that bad if they weren't so extreme. Yeah, and what I think is going to happen, I don't... Yeah. Some liberals wouldn't be that bad if they were more modern. Uh, yeah, they were independent. I guess you could say I'm in the center. The reason I'm in the center and I, ch- I chose not to like choose a political party is because on one end of the spectrum, I can be called a libtard fuck, and then on the other side, I, I can be called a racist, sexist, homophobic, misogynistic, toaster Yeah, but we're not 
racist, we're not sexist, we're not homophobic. And we proved it in this episode. And Arthur, or Carter, you have no reason to be afraid. I'm not telling you to switch to re- the Republican Party, but as an independent, you can also show them, just like this episode. You should come, you should come join the authoritarian left party. That's yeah. But you can show them, even as an independent, that you're not a racist, and you can pull out facts. And you know what they do with facts? They just whine and bitch and tell you to get off their campus. But, anyways, yeah. Yeah. Stupid. Of course, the story about how every like reduces and continues, uh, tries to continue its species for as long as possible is heteronormative. Because in order for a proper human being to reproduce with another proper human being, it needs there needs to be one man and one mo- woman. That's how it always works, okay? And then I see all of these yeah, no Caitlyn like, Jenner's. I know, I know. I see a lot no of Okay, but my closing comment before I say what I'm thankful for is, you know what? I I don't think there's probably chances of there being a rise of a third party is pretty slim. I'd say it's a it's a two and a half out of ten percent chance, whatever you want to say it is. But I think what's going to end up happening is the Democrats are going to go so extreme, so progressive, so socialist. A, it's either, and this would be the worst and most awful thing possible, it's going to result in a civil war, and I pray to God that it doesn't. Wait, I don't want to talk about that either. It's, it's, we, 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 if we talk about a civil war, we're going to, yeah, no, yeah, but I know, I know, Arturo, 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 I know guys, but it's, it's very dangerous to talk about a civil war because it amps up the fire. And I know it sounds stupid, but it makes the social fabric even more shakier and even still start to come down, okay? And we're as we're on the verge of a collapse of our social fabric. And at the rate it's going, the social fabric's going to collapse in the next three to four years, okay? And yeah, it could be revamped if we have a next president after Trump, after a second term, if he gets reelected. I hope he does. It looks like he is. If we have a president like Shapiro... Who I would think wouldn't be good for our foreign policy. But I think he would be great for our domestic policy. But I, I think he would be great for also our social fabric. And somebody like a Pence. I think if they get elected, that's going to heal our social fabric tremendously. And what I think is going to happen is I think the Democrats are going to have to go back to the traditional liberals that they were 60 years ago. And I'm not saying racist white liberals. I'm saying they're going to find a center ground and it's going to help this country progress yeah, tremendously it is and I, I hate to say this but this is my personal opinion on how the social fabric and you know how, how we can 
of the Democrats. Yes. And, yeah. Have Have you seen the hashtag letters and, of the Second Civil War on Twitter? Yeah, and like what I th- what I think the only way to push back a civil war would be is to elect a de- is to elect a Democratic president. No. For at least one term. For, no. For at least one term. Okay. It'll shut. Who do you think it should up. be? No, you know how we got to do this, okay? And you know and you know how we have to do this, okay? This is what I say. We don't apologize. We don't don't apologize. Don't suck up to them, okay? Because you know what? This is how Trump was elected because the people in the center of the country were tired of Republicans running weak campaigns, nominating the wrong people, and then they finally lose the election to a progressive, a moderate actually, a Hillary Obama actually moderate. It's shocking. But losing and then apologizing to them for being American. That's what they're tired of, okay? And the and you know how we prevent a civil war? You don't suck up to the Democrats and elect one of them, okay? You know how we do it? We make them so insane. We make them, we make them so insane. We make them so extreme that they go berserk. And you know what's going to happen? The base of their party, the blue-collar workers, the unions, they're not going to go progressive. They're not going to go socialist. They're not going to go full insane. You know what? Not, they're not going to go full Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie. You know what they're going to do? They're going to go back to the traditional liberalism, and that's going to ignite a whole thing of traditional liberalism. Okay? And yeah, Trump's a bit of an ass. He is an ass. Okay? But you that's how you turn a blue wave into a ripple. If Trump wasn't a hard ass, we wouldn't. If Trump wasn't a hard ass, he wouldn't be elected. If Trump wasn't a hard ass, we would be even closer to a civil war. And and I'm not saying when a civil war is going to happen. I don't think a civil war is going to happen. I understand. Mm-hmm. So Trump was the person that turned the possible uh, blue tsunami into a blue puddle. He turned it into a ripple. And you, you know how you do it? You don't apologize. You don't suck up to him. You have to be an asshole. And you got you gotta. That's how he won. The election. But. Definitely. You need to alter it to Alex Jones slash Lindsey Graham's. Yeah. AJ, do you have any last comment before we end? Hey y'all, let AJ talk. We need to get the freaking crap out of the water. Yeah. I think that's what this election comes down to. I think it's really people are tired of them making the freaking frogs gay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we all need to turn into Alex Jones. Yo, Carter. Yeah. AJ. AJ, do you have any? Uh, I mean, I I think we shouldn't let them win because if they don't, they just get even more mad. And yes. Like they keep making up like some like stupid. Yeah. Dude, if we invi- if we elected a Democrat, we'd actually be like a socialist nation. If we elected progressives. But anyways, last comment. Everybody I think had their last comment. Um what are you thankful for? Carter? Oh yeah. What are you thankful for? Uh, what am I thankful for? Because if America was a socialist country, if America was a socialist country,
I wouldn't have this mic to talk in. It would have probably. Years ago. And yeah. If America was a socialist country. What about you, Arturo? Even if America went down the um, anti-federalist um, route and went anti and went anti-bill of rights, uh-huh. you, you know. Yeah, Arturo, AJ, what do you think, Arturo? Um, you know, I, I think I'm extremely thankful. Um. For the Cardinals, um, no, I'm just joking. They're actually booty. Um, <laughs> they're doing terrible. Yeah. So I'm thankful for uh, aren't too shabby. And it's extremely generic. But I'm really thankful for uh, free enterprise and free internet. Yeah. Um, that anything yeah, could happen on the World Wide Web. I'm really happy that we have you know YouTube because I'm sure that Ben's been inspired by Ben Shapiro's podcast and meme review Steven Crowder AJ what do you mean people like Hunter Avalon James Delsa and without those figures and without YouTube and the internet I don't think I'd be in the place I am politically um you know I was actually a hardcore leftist um when I was you know like 10 really and yeah I got red pilled by uh, Hunter Avalon and James Delsa and they turned me into the man I am today I'm extremely thankful for it. So yeah. uh, I, I'm really appreciative of James Alsop, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you guys heard of um, Chris Raygun? Oh, but before, hold on. Al AJ, what are you thankful for? Just um, being American, you know. Yeah. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that Hillary Clinton isn't our president. Because if we would, we'd all be screwed. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, sorry, Carter's picture just pulled up. Uh, anyways, that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I'm very thankful for it, too. Uh, tell your family, your friends. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. Uh, anyways, tell your family, your friends, neighbors, and even liberals. Invite them on, give it a rating, and subscribe. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Happy Thanksgiving! Peace out. Special thanks to Carter Norris, Arturo Whipple, and AJ Trotta. The Brett Allen Podcast is an Anchor Publishing production. Anchor 2018. Coming up on the Brent Allen Podcast. At Ben Shapiro. Censored. At Brent underscore Allen 94. Censored. Hmm. What's this? At Alex Jones. I know I'm a punch him in the nose. Those chemicals going in the water are making the frogs gay. You anti-American son of a Hmm. I guess I'll shut him up again. Hello? Mr. Zuckerberg, Mr. Sundar of Google would like to speak with you. Uh, just tell him I'm busy. Give a few Zuck bucks to him. I'm shadow banning the deplorables. It's an inside joke. Uh, no, I'm sorry. He's coming on the line right now. Oh, hello, brother. Sundar Pichai here, CEO of Google. <sighs> hello, Sundar. Oh, Mark, do you remember the last time we saw each other on Capitol Hill for our political bias hearings? You made that shadow bearing deplorables inside joke. <laughs> yes, Sundar. I was just talking about that with Janet. Who is this Janet you speak of? 
my secretary. You know, secretary in my country is called slavery. I'm aware, Sundar. Now, what do you need exactly? Okay, so you know how liberals own practically the entirety of the internet? Y yes, I'm aware. You know how us liberals take over one step at a time? Yes. Well, I think it's time to start our next phase by releasing footage of Donald Trump discriminating against minorities. No. No, even better. Him beating Melania. Yes, would you like to record it now? Yes, let's do it. I have an audio recorder right here. Okay. Okay, let's start this. Hey, Melania. Yes, Donald. See that thing I just dropped? Yes, Donald. Pick it up. Okay, here. Like that. Bend over to pick it up. Put your back into it. Okay. Okay. What could possibly go wrong when- Oh my god! He's got me down in the Bill Clinton headlock! Oh yeah, Melania. I'm gonna give you that Trump Tower. Oh, please don't grab me by the- Okay, and tweeted. 10, 50, 1 million views. We just ruined that man's life. You know, I just realized something, Mark. What, Sundar? Why are we criminalizing an innocent man without due process? Because, Sundar, we're Democrats. And if you let me cool you one time, you be my regular style. Alright, boys. Welcome back again to the Brent Allen Podcast. Today we have nobody on. Uh, yeah. It's the first solo episode. It's not that I didn't find anybody, but it's just that I kind of wanted to try it. I just kind of wanted to see how it uh, goes. But, good news. On the, I think Christmas Eve is when it will come out. 23rd or 24th. Um, we I told you we'd be prepared for the Christmas episode. The Christmas episode is coming out uh, with... Somebody you'll find out, but it's going to be badass, and we're going to have somebody on, and you're going to like him, 
pretty big on Instagram. And, yeah, it's going to be badass. Uh, before we get into it, uh, please, right now, if you can, if you will, if you want to see the podcast grow, if you want to see it turn into this badass show, please head over to iTunes or whatever you're listening to it on right now and give the show a rating. We really need some ratings. Uh, I think we might have one. I'm not sure. I just checked. Um, I, I mean, excuse me. I didn't check. Um, I'm pretty sure we have one or none. No ratings. Uh, I mean, if you don't, we're probably not going to be able to do this for much longer because the podcast won't grow and we won't get enough support. So go do that right now. Pause it right now. Just don't forget or just listen to it while you're doing it. I don't care. Whatever works for you. Um, if you can't do it right now, I don't know. Just leave, write a note. Leave yourself a reminder. I don't know. Just please give it a rating. Okay. Anyways, now it's time for liberal joke of the day. Why do liberals laugh three times when they hear a joke? Once when it is told. Once when it is explained to them. And once when they understand it. Okay. So now we're going to get into the news. But right before that. We are going to do our first ever Vox rebuttal. Um, I know what you're saying. I can't do this because Steven Crowder does it. Well, guess what? I can do it too. Not because I'm a Raging Mug Club fan, but because I've got a rip on the libtards. Okay? So, getting right into this, you probably know that Vox is one of the biggest leftist-backed news networks out there besides CNN and MSNBC. It's even worse than MSNBC. I mean, that's how you know it's bad. But the video we're going to be rebuttaling against is titled, quote-unquote, Fox News Keeps Breaking Its Own Rules. And it's pronounced and narrated, I guess you could say, by its one and only West Hollywood queer, Carlos Mazza. And by the way, I'm not homophobic, but I throw that out there that he's West Hollywood queer because he makes it a huge part of his identity. So I'll say it like that, too. So, here we go. If you want to make progress, you really need to stop watching Fox News. It's breaking your brain. You need to stop. Stop watching Fox. So I was watching Hannity's show a few weeks ago, and something really weird happened. It was November 5th, and the show was airing from a Trump rally in Missouri. It's election eve. We're in the great show me state. How are y'all doing? And while Hannity's show is always rah-rah Trump, this one felt especially campaign-y. So much is at stake in a few short hours. You ready? Hannity opened the show by running through a literal list of Trump's accomplishments, including gems like successful trip to Asia and drafted plan to defeat ISIS. Well, you got to start somewhere. He listed the Democrats' agenda if they won the midterms, including, of course, open borders. Yes, it was a successful trip to Asia. Even CNN agreed in their November 14th, 2017 article by Dan Marica titled, quote-unquote, Trump's Asia trip, six takeaways, end quote. The tr- quote-unquote, the trip was a significant tr- step for Trump, who had not ventured abroad since July, providing him with an opportunity to personally lean on countries in the region to do more combat to the rogue Asian nation, an issue that has become the president's premier foreign policy focus. I mean, this is why I can't stand Vox. I mean, 
their own people of their own party go against it because they completely, completely ignore facts. And, yes, I give a little bit of credit to CNN. A couple of people on there, in fact, I kind of like and I watch regularly, like Jake Tapper and Wolf Blitzer, and they're pretty honest people. But ignoring that, CNN at least tries to use facts. Fox doesn't give a flying shit, okay? Vox just prays that other conservatives or other on-the-fence voters or whoever don't watch shows like this or don't watch people with actual logic that can rebut this so easily. But getting back to it, not to mention the extraordinary progress combating North Korea on that trip. So thank you, President Trump. And you mentioned ISIS. I can't even believe you would bring that up. As it was formed under the Obama administration, fu- fueled by the Obama administration, by funding Palestine and Iran, and grew extraordinarily fast and powerful under Obama. Again, according to CNN, quote unquote, the self proclaimed Islamic State has conducted or inspired more than 140 terrorist attacks in 29 countries other than Iraq and Syria. Where its carnage has taken a much deadlier toll, those attacks have killed at least 2,043 people and injured thousands more. Oh, I forgot. It's not Obama's fault. Well, President George W. Bush, at the end of his presidency, warned America of the risk of withdrawing precipitously from Iraq. Yeah, he was right for once. This is why I don't agree with Trump either on this issue. And because he just announced that we'd formally withdraw from Syria. And I think we're going to be that back there in a decade, even quicker than that. But nevertheless... The United States military forces, under the direction of then-President Obama, quickly started a withdrawal from Iraq Then was, that was completed in 2011. Not coincidentally, by April of 2013, the Islamic State of Iraq had united with the Al-Nursha Front to form the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, ISIS. And then, by contrast, there's Trump, who under his administration has decimated ISIS. They're not defeated, but they are decimated. Don't believe me? Trump has cut Russia off from ISIS, who had been supporting and or doing nothing about ISIS, according to Post Times. Just like his campaign promised, he has bombed the shit out of them by dropping a Moab bomb on them in Afghanistan, killing 92 militants, militants, working with Kurdish forces to recapture city after city and what we took their stronghold, Raqqa, last year. So before you talk shit, you should really consider backing it. Oh, I forgot. You're a Democrat. Lastly, yes... I think it's fair to say the Democrats back open borders under all costs. Let's just start with Hillary back in 2013 speaking to a Brazilian bank saying, quote-unquote, My dream is a hemisphere common market with open trade and open borders sometime in the future with energy that is as clean and green and sustainable as we get it. Power and growth and opportunity for every person in the hemisphere. That not enough? On July 18th of this year, 2018, the House voted on a bill that continued support for ICE officers, state law enforcement, and military personnel who bring law enforcement and order to our nation's borders. You want to know the results on the Democrats' behalf? Of the 197, 18 Democrats voted for this resolution. 35 voted no. And the other 133 dodges this issue altogether by voting present. And of course, they complain that the vote was just a political stunt. The vote also came after eight Democrats co-sponsored an actual abolish ICE bill. But it wasn't a stunt, wasn't it? It was, right? Nope. The abolish ICE movement took off among Democrats in the wake of open borders, socialist, 
progressive Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's surprise victory in the New York primaries. primaries. Since then, she's called for protesters to occupy ICE offices around the country. Not to mention, the head of the Democratic National Committee, Tom Pierce, labeled her the future of the Democratic Party. Listen, for years, Democrats have tried to portray themselves as tough on border security, and they're not. They're not. If they cared, we would not have 20 million illegals living in this country right now. Next clip. <laughs> he constantly repeated the phrase, promises made, promises kept. Promises made, promises kept. Promises made, promises kept. Which, surprise, surprise, was one of the GOP's midterm slogans. Promises made, promises kept. And he tried to put on a brave face before the impending blue wave. So what are we going to see tomorrow? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, polls are meaningless. They are meaningless. The show ended with Hannity privately interviewing Trump in a coffin, I think. Promises made, promises kept. Promises made, promises kept. Promises made, promises kept. I could keep saying that. My show's not a giant campaign operation, you dumbass. Just because a journalist uses a phrase that their party uses as a slogan doesn't mean they're fundraising or supporting them in the campaign trail. And I love how you say Republicans are the ones contributing to the campaigns. When Hillary Clinton in 2016, in her 2016 presidential run, received some of the biggest donations by left-wing journalists in U.S. history. For example, according to the Center for Public Integrity, which is an independent, non-biased source, by the way, quote-unquote, New York New Yorker television critic Emily Nussbaum, pretty sure that's how you pronounce it, a newly minted Pulitzer Prize winner, spent the Republican National Convention pen-pricking presidential nominee Donald Trump as a misogynist, shinsteroning as a quote-unquote ugly and xenophobic campaign. What Nussbaum didn't disclose in her dispatches, she contributed $250 to Democrat Hillary Clinton in April. And Carol Simpson a former ABC World News Tonight anchor who did in 1992 became the first African-American woman to moderate a presidential debate and is not moderate about her personal politics. The current Emerson College Distinguished Journalist and resident, Residence and Regular TV News guest has given Clinton $2,800. Ooh, and I know you're probably saying that right-wing journalists contributed just as much as Trump as the left did for Clinton. Not really. If you look at the numbers, according to the Center for Public Integrity Analysis, again, quote unquote, people identified in federal campaign finance filings as journalists, reporters, news editors, or television news anchors, as well as other donors known to be working in journalism, has have combined to give more than three hundred ninety-six thousand to the presidential campaigns of Clinton and Trump. Nearly all of that money, more than listen to this, more than ninety-six percent has benefited Clinton. About 430 people who work in journalism have, through August of 2016, combined to give about $382,000 to the Democratic nominee. That leaves Trump with just under $12,000 from journalists. And before we get any deeper, what this guy will constantly try to do this entire video is plant the seed in your head that Republicans are the ones getting the campaign contributions way more than Democrats, and that's 100% false. And lastly... He makes a decently good point. Decently. I give him a little bit of credit. Um, I mean, I get why he's kind of shocked at Hannity for saying this, but at the end of the clip, he says the polls are meaningless and in midterms, not necessarily. You see, in midterm elections, it's much more centered around fundraising, which makes it pretty predictable. Uh, that's why you just saw the pretty much entire country predicted the Democrats would take the House. And the Republicans would pick up a seat or two in the Senate. 
and that's exactly what happened. But in federal elections, it's a lot more like culture and demographics. And, for example, ignoring the 99% chance Hillary would win by the New York Times, non-biased sources said it was about a 60-40 chance Hillary would win. And, oh, well, it turned out 50-50, didn't it? But I didn't see this whole clip. Maybe he was talking about 2016. I don't know. Knowing Vox, he'd snip this clip out to their advantage. But if he was talking about the midterms, I don't know what he's talking about. Next clip. Asking hardball questions like, you spent three and a half billion on the border wall, and I know you're disappointed. You want the rest. And that was the end of the show. But the weirdness was only beginning. See, a few days earlier, the Trump campaign announced that Hannity would be appearing as a special guest during the rally. Hannity denied that he'd appear on stage, claiming he was only going there to interview Trump. But a few minutes after Hannity's show finished airing... Let's get it over with, right? Sean Hannity, come on up. Sean Hannity. Promises made, promises kept. By the way, all those people in the back are fake news. That freaked a lot of people out. And not just because Hannity was literally calling other Fox News reporters in the room fake news. Fox News issued a statement saying they didn't condone talent participating in campaign events. And Hannity claimed the whole thing was a total surprise. The president, I had no idea. It was not planned. And then, nothing. The midterms came and went. Hannity went back to his show, and that was it. Welcome to Hannity. Jam-packed hour. What would have been an immediate firing on any other network was barely a PR blip for Fox. Because as shocking as that whole fiasco might look, it's just the latest example in how Fox News is transforming from a right-wing news network into a full-blown campaign operation. Dipshit, I know you're not very smart or don't interpret comedy very well, but if you could see Hannity smiling up on the podium calling all the networks fake news, it means he's mocking the president in a friendly way. You have the power to shock the world again. Just think of what it's going to be like to watch the corrupt media. They will lose their minds. I want to start off by saying this is not a video about Fox News being too conservative. It is normal for journalists to have political beliefs. Hannity is obviously a right winger, and I am obviously an Antifa super soldier. Okay, and before we get any more into it, what Vox will constantly try to do, and they do this in all their past videos, uh, they do it in all their videos, like gun control and abortion, what they constantly try to do is plant the seed in your head of their standards that don't ally with what the left does. For example, in this video, what you'll see I'm saying is Vox doesn't ask hardball questions, and then you take a peek over at CNN, and you see they do the same exact thing, if not worse, probably worse. So it's just hypocrisy at the highest order they change their standards and when it doesn't align with them their facts i guess you could say and later in the video they just start spewing nonsense and yeah they do it the whole video but it's just you can see it next clip What's not normal is for news organizations to be directly involved in campaigns they're covering. It's why you've never seen Rachel Maddow give a stump speech for Democrats. It's unethical. Also, that speech would be 45 minutes long and never get to the point. Eh. Not again. As an experiment, I asked my bosses if I could speak at a Democratic campaign rally that I made up because I have too much free time on my hands. And here's what they said. No. Come on. Of course not. Why not? Because you're a journalist. You're not working for a campaign. This is a pretty widely accepted rule in journalism, and it's actually one that Fox News used to follow. In 2010, Handy spent a week promoting his appearance at a Tax Day Tea Party rally in Cincinnati. Tax Day, we will be in Cincinnati, and hopefully you can be a part of the studio audience. But after Fox News found out the rally organized, 
organizers were using Kennedy's appearance to sell tickets, they pulled the plug. News Corp CEO Rupert Murdoch said, I don't think we should be supporting the Tea Party or any other party. And that was the last time Fox News pretended to give a shit. In 2016, Kennedy appeared in a Bananas pro-Trump campaign ad. Of course, he's going to build that wall. He says he's going to have Mexico pay for it. John! You shot it on an iPhone with a tucked-in polo? If any other journalist did that, they'd be so ridiculously fired. But Fox News did not fire Hannity. Instead, they said they didn't know he was appearing in the ad and promised that he wouldn't do it again. And journalists are unable to stop candidates from using copyright news clips and ads. And also, journalists appearing in campaign ads happen very often, actually. This has been an issue as far back as 2001 following a specific case in which a candidate used C-SPAN footage of an opponent, including the network's logo and intro, as a campaign ad, according to the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. That not enough? Well, sometimes stations or networks will challenge campaigns for using their footage without permission. In the 2008 presidential campaign, for example, both major party candidates, McCain and Obama, <clears throat> received cease and desist letters from major networks for, use, for their use of networks' clips. However, particularly when using a short news clip as just one portion of an ad, courts have generally come down on the side of campaigns considering the material to be quote-unquote fair use. According to the copyright.gov, fair use is the legal principle that allows the use of copyrighted material without permission in some limited circumstances depending on the purpose of the use with educational, non-commercial, and political speech more likely to be considered fair use. The nature of the copyrighted work with use of factual items like news stories more likely to be considered fair use than more creative imaginative works of fiction the effect of the original on the original copyrighted copyright holder and whether the unlicensed use will hurt the market for the original work the amount of work used with the use of a short clip more likely to be considered fair use than the key element or entire piece and this incident happens quite often just a couple months ago in august of this year uh the cbs denver news director tim wyland got into a fight with whoever accused him of the exact same thing Hannity is being accused for by Fox. In this tweet, he says, quote-unquote, campaigns are allowed to use our news reporting for two reasons. First, the Supreme Court determined political advertising is considered to be constitutionally protected free speech. Second, courts have ruled that using our content in political advertising is allowed under, quote-unquote, fair use. Not to mention, this same guy, Tim Wyland, worked for CNN in the past, so I think it's fair to say that he's somewhere around the left spectrum. But getting back to what I said a minute ago about short clips and political ads being protected by fair use, that's literally the same thing that happened in the Trump 2016 ad the Latina queer presented in the video. In this video, titled Heart, hashtag Heartland for Trump, published September 20th, 2016, it was eight minutes and one second long. You want to know how long Hannity was in there? Just 33 seconds. Also, there were 21 people in that ad excluding Hannity and Trump. So I think it's fair to say that it's fair use. And the queer Latina Vox leftist didn't know what the hell he's talking about. And since then, the problem has exploded. Hannity now regularly appears at Republican fundraising and campaign events. Here he is campaigning for Ted Cruz in Texas. We need Ted Cruz now more than ever. And for Ron DeSantis in Florida. And the media hates that I'm here, and I'm like, too bad. But it's not even just Hannity anymore. Pete Hegseth, who co-hosts Fox & Friends on the weekend, has repeatedly spoken at GOP fundraisers. Here he is in Washington in 2017. Keep giving, keep fighting. Don't apologize for President Trump. Here he is in Tennessee in April. Please write a bigger check than you thought you were going to write tonight. He does a ton of these. We are correct. 
That's why you're a Republican. Here's Fox host Laura Ingram campaigning for Republican Kelly Ward in Arizona. Let's push her over the finish line. Let's get it done for Kelly. Right after Hannity got pulled on stage at that Trump rally, another Fox host, Janine Pirro, also went on stage. Okay, so here I think he makes an okay point. Should Republicans be speaking at these fundraisers and campaigning for these candidates? No, it goes against the SPJ Ethics of Journalism, which states, quote-unquote, the SPJ Ethics Committee gets a significant number from, of questions about whether journalists should engage in political activity. The simplest answer is no. Don't do it. Don't get involved. Don't contribute money. Don't work in a campaign. Don't lobby, and especially don't run for office yourself. So again, I condemn what Fox is doing with these fundraisers. But I love how he says, Fox is a Republican campaign operation, while Google, Twitter, and Facebook are all Democratic Party fronts. And I especially love what he says in the last part, don't lobby. The left did the exact opposite of that. Go back and look what I said just a minute ago. According to a Center for Public Integrity and Analysis, people identified in federal campaign finance filings as journalists, reporters, news editors, te television news anchors, as well as other donors known to be working in journalism, journalism have combined to give more than $396,000 to a presidential campaigns of Clinton and Trump. Nearly all of that money, more than 96% of has benefited Clinton. About 430 people who work in journalism have, through August of 2016, combined to give about $382,000 to the Democratic nominee. But what the left is doing is definitely not disobeying the SPJ ethics of journalism either. And this is where the Vox hypocrisy kicks in. This is what I said at the very beginning of the rebuttal. Fox sets these standards for everybody else, and then when they, ch they change them, when they don't add up with their twisted, quote-unquote, facts. Next clip. Hero has bragged about speaking at GOP fundraisers on TV. Last night I was in Morgantown, West Virginia, where I gave a speech at the annual Republican Reagan dinner. She's a constant fixture at GOP fundraisers across the country. God, you gotta love that sorority pose, though. I'm getting away with it. The problem goes deeper than Fox hosts appearing at these events. These campaigns are now slowly infecting Fox News programming. Before Hannity went on stage at that Trump rally, he went district by district attacking individual Democrats. Liberal, radical, leftist, incumbent, Claire McCaskill, radical, leftist, Democrat, Kristen Cinema, Democratic, do-nothing, Schumer, Democrat, Bill Nelson, while endorsing Republican candidates. American hero, Martha McSally, Bob Hugan, Marine, Semper Fi, Bob, Ted Cruz needs to be back in the U.S. Senate. Wait a minute. I thought he said at the very beginning of the video that it's not about Fox News being too conservative and all journalists have their own political beliefs. Hmm. Just another example of how Vox flip-flops their claims after a dozen ad act. Next clip. It wasn't the first time he'd done that. Kennedy had been running that segment for days before the midterms. We will point out 10 key races a night, so you know if it's your district that matters. Republican Mark Harris, he needs your help. We need that seat to stay Republican. And again, it's not just Kennedy. If you call yourself a conservative and a Republican, it's actually immoral not to vote for Donald Trump. Vote for the America that is great again. And Okay, and I love how gay Latina Fox Sprite queer calls what Laura Ingram just said here, quote-unquote, immoral. But when the Armenian genocide-denying pieces of human shit over at TYT yell, shame on women who voted for Trump, that's okay and completely moral. That's fine. Next clip great again. And the more comfortable Fox has gotten with campaigning, the more GOP candidates are relying on Fox as part of their campaign strategies. Look at this softball interview Hannity did with GOP candidate Karen Housley in October. Karen Housley is with us. Karen, let's talk about Keith Ellison and the double standard. 
yeah, thank you so much for having me, Sean. What the? That is not a question. That is a campaign stop. And Housley knew it. She immediately repackaged that interview into a campaign. You can win this race. I believe that... <laughs> it, it, Lots of Republicans do this now. Clip Hannity's softball coverage and repackage it for their campaign. A former police chief, Eddie Edwards, I'm with the police chief tonight. A Republican challenger, Wendy Rogers, in a district that President Trump only carried by one point. By the way, good luck in your run for governor down in South Carolina. I have a lot of friends down there. And the Democrats don't do this too? I can name a dozen times right now when Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's answers for their vision of the socialist America on CNN, MSNBC, and ABC, and how they're going to pay for a $40 trillion Medicare for all price tag didn't get answered because the time ran out. So don't act like Fox is the only one that does this dipshit, especially around election time. Next clip. It's become cliche to mock Fox News as Trump TV or state propaganda. But what's happened over the past few years goes way beyond ideology. Congressman DeSantis joins us now. Full disclosure, I did do town halls with him. And I endorsed you, and I don't regret it. Fox News is quietly allowing itself to evolve into a massive, highly influential get-out-the-vote operation. Congressman DeSantis, congratulations. I, I remember you and I talking after we did that debate on Fox News, and you were like, you're not going to be behind much longer after this. And sure enough, I mean, we really... Ahead. The problem isn't that Hannity got on stage at a campaign event. It's that Fox News is the campaign event. One that's becoming deeply embedded in the GOP's strategy for winning elections from here on out. Really, is it Russia? Because what the Democrats will constantly try to do is blame everybody else that will have the loosest ties with the Republican Party, like Russia, to try to justify why they didn't get their way. And guess what? Yes, Fox News has an impact on midterms and federal elections. And so does MSNBC and CNN and NBC and ABC and CRTV and The Daily Wire and just about any other news network or source because it turns out the more liberal influence you have around people equals the more liberals. The more conservative influence equals the more conservatives and so on. And finally, to rebuttal against your claim, no, Fox News is not a giant campaign operation. No, I don't like their heavy involvement in campaigns and fundraising. But guess what? The left does the exact same things, and the problem is that the Vox has this double-standard hypocritical mindset, and they won't combat facts with honesty or integrity. Okay, so moving on to our next rant is the Oscars and Kevin Hart. So right off the bat, if you keep up with the American mainstream media, you probably know that the Oscars is one of the biggest chances for the left to get out their agenda in an audience of millions. So last week on... The, yeah, last week. Uh, on Tuesday, the Oscars nominated Kevin Hart to be their host, and I mean, I thought this was a pretty good choice considering Kevin Hart has stayed out of the left-wing political scam all the way in, up until, I believe, in August of this year at the VMAs when he made those non-aggressively weird comments about Trump, about the Trump White House, but I mean, overall, he's been pretty neutral, and I think he's a good guy. He's pretty funny comedian his movies are great not so much his stand-up but getting back to it Hart in this last week was nominated by the oscars to be uh its host for 2019 and he was really excited he posted a picture on instagram of an oscar trophy and a paragraph saying quote unquote for years i have been asked if i would ever host the oscars and my answer was always the same i said that i would uh, i said that i would be the opportunity i said that it would be the opportunity of a lifetime for me as a comedian and that it would happen when it's supposed to. I am so happy to say that the day has finally come, 
for me to host the Oscars. I am blown away simply because this has been a goal for go on my list for a long time to be able to join the legendary list of hosts that have graced the stage is unbelievable i know my mom is smiling from ear to ear right now i want to thank my family friends fans for supporting me and riding me all this time i'll be sure to make this year's oscar special oscar a special one i appreciate the at Acad- the academy for the opportunity now it's time to rise to the occasion hashtag oscars and just like many others and just like many other people that don't even oppose the left, but just want to stay neutral, their career and life gets ruined by some stupid thing they said a decade ago. Literally. So a couple days ago, the left-wing social media mob dug up some of Kevin Hart's old anti-gay tweets that said, quote-unquote, at Kevin Hart for real isn't funny either. You look like a gay version of Chris Brown. Put a shirt on. F. Another sold-out, quote-unquote, sold-out weekend for at Kevin Hart for real in New York. Fun times, but I'm tired. You're such a bitch, man. We will ZZZ when I die. F-A-G. Okay, at Kevin Hart for real. Okay, okay, we get it. Your girl smart. What up with the sneaks, F-A-G, boy? I got you this week. Why does at Wayne215 have so many pictures of me on his phone? What are you, some type of fat F-A-G that takes pics of small black men all day? At Wayne215. LMAO. That's why you sweat for no reason, you fat-faced F-A-G. At Sydney is funny. Thanks, F-A-G, boy. At B-T-1. At B-T-2-1. And I... N-word. Shut yo, Tevin Cambo looking ass off. You can't be a thug with a Chinese tattoo on your arm. F-A-G. Boom. I mean, do you really think Kevin Hart believes the same things that he did back in 2010? And... The one that's probably getting the most attention is the one back in January of 2011 that said, quote-unquote, if my son comes home and tries to play with my daughter's dollhouse, I'm going to break it over his head and say my end voice, stop, that's gay. Okay, and if you actually think Kevin Hart is going to break his daughter's dollhouse over his son's head, then you're an utter idiot. I can name a dozen reasons on why he doesn't want his son to be gay, I mean, most parents don't want their sons to be gay with the problems that follow, such as personal, political, and emotional problems that entail. The guy's a comedian. You leftist twats. And unfortunately, the Academy told him to step down or be kicked off. And his agents probably called him and told him to step down. So that's what he did on this tweet. In, in this tweet on the 6th, it says, quote-unquote, I've made the choice to step down from hosting this year's Oscars. This is because I do not want to be a distraction on a night that should be celebrated by so many people, so many talent, amazing talented artists. I sincerely apologize to the LGBTQ community for my past and sensitive words from my past. I'm sorry that I hurt people I am evolving and want to continue to do so. My goal is to bring people together and not tear us apart. Much love and appreciation to the Academy. I hope we can meet again. So my outtake to this is just like a dozen other comedians, celebrities, politicians, etc., what the left will constantly and continuously try to do is mow people down with not even opposing views, but views they don't want to publicly announce, and dig up comments not necessarily racist or sexist or homophobic or Islamophobic, but insensitive 
and offensive to a particular group. And listen, I'm not defending his words, but if you didn't realize by now, Kevin Hart is a comedian, not a politician or somebody that has to act professional and cater to every ethnic and minority group every second of their career. Should he have said that? No, of course not. But the fact of the matter is that he was obviously joking. And these multicultural, SJW, Black Lives Matter, feminists, leftists have to go out and dig up a few offensive things that a comedian, out of all people, said a decade ago and ruin his career and his life intentionally. Okay, and on to our main topic of the episode, left-wing censorship in schools and the workplace. So if you're familiar with everyday American life, I can guarantee you know a little bit about voicing your opinion as a conservative and being shut down by a liberal. So now we're going to give you a timeline of how America went from a place of intellectual diversity to a place of liberal censorship. So now we're going to tell the story just to show how intolerant and hypocritical left is. Story time. So before we start this, I think it's important to s- define censorship. According to Merriam-Webster, censorship is, quote-unquote, the suppression or prohibition of any parts of books, films, news, etc. that are considered obscene, politically unacceptable, or a threat to security. Okay, now let's go over that real quick. Books, no, not really. Film, and not really. News, yep. They are considered politi- obscene, politically unacceptable, or a threat to security by the left, but in reality, it's harmless. So we're going to unravel the lies and intolerance by the left. Here we go. So, you have to go back to June 21st, 1788. America was a new nation, but it wasn't all that peaceful as you may have heard. We were divided. No national currency. No president. There were the Articles of Confederation, though. They were weak and ineffective. So when the Founding Fathers realized this, they went back to Philadelphia and rewrote it. The result was the Constitution. America's government. The law of the land. And on June 21st, 1788, was ratified, with New Hampshire being the ninth state, ninth state to vote on it. The Constitution would begin on March 4, 1789, and be changed and ratified a few other times after the Constitution was created, including the Bill of Rights. It was meant to be flexible for one reason and one reason only. Innovations, inventions, and new technology. Not because it doesn't align with the party's interests. This also applies to the Second Amendment, which the left clearly doesn't give two shits about. But getting back to the Constitution was just ratified. It was new. The nation was already starting to divide. So where does it go from here? Well, you have to fast forward a couple hundred years. America was in a crisis. Many were talking about a second civil war. Hmm, sounds familiar. Same old Democrats. But anyway, this is a time where we're in a Cold War, battling communism, Korea, and and Vietnam. Stakes were high. And in 1964, the parties mysteriously flipped. And the Republicans were suddenly the racists, and the Democrats are the party of cultural and religious diversity, open-mindedness, and accepting people who freer they are. No, not really. I explained this back in episode 3. The parties never flipped. The Democrats removed the father from the black homes to control the youth. They used identity politics and intersectionality, which is still, still, even to the second, tearing the social fabric apart today. And created these lies and institutions that ruined the lives of millions of African Americans. Not to mention, the Democrats were the only, the only ones who stalled and opposed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So the left started censoring the right the first chance they got, starting with the Department of Education. Not to mention, the Department of Education is extremely unconstitutional. Over the 31 years since its creation by liberal failure of President Jimmy Carter, the ED has systematically and unconstitutionally intruded on the freedom of the states, promoted liberal-style multiculturalism, and racist affirmative 
Action Programs, discriminated against Christians work, working in local schools and promoted the secular atheist ideology, which is one of the main factors behind the decline of educational standards in both primary and secondary education. And then you wonder, you wonder why the American education system is so far behind. The left likes to look at Germany and China and see that they're so far ahead. Let me ask you something. Today, in 2018, if you march right into any social studies classroom in this country and ask the teacher why the students are learning American history, 99.99999% of the time, they're going to say, so they have the proper material to feed onto the next grade. That's not what the founding fathers in the education reform in the 1830s intended to do at all. History class in American schools are meant to teach generation after generation why America is so great and the values of American and Christian culture and how to be an American patriot. The then, then came left-wing political indoctrination in the education system. As early as the 90s, across college campuses, and then the intolerance trickled down through high schools and grade schools. This is how you have a politically correct school system with liberal teachers bullying peaceful conservatives and MAGA hats. This has been going on ever since the 90s and has gotten so much worse ever since. So now, the left has control of the schools and the black community. So what's next? They took over the internet. Amongst the indoctrination in the 90s came the rise of most social media sites and internet monopolies such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Google. This doesn't seem like such a bad thing, does it? Just a couple of Democrats trying to make a living and innovate the internet, right? Nope. As much as I like to go on Twitter and Instagram, I hate, I absolutely hate the people that run it. And what I mean by that is the people that run these social media and internet corporations are all far leftists and liars. For example, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey are self-described independents, but they constantly vote blue every chance they get. Google CEO Sundar Pichai, I think that's how you say it, he was in the skit, plans to launch a search engine in China. And Susan Wojcicki is a registered Democrat who has endorsed Hillary Clinton several times back in 2016. Besides, all being CEOs of the top internet corporations, they all have one thing in common. They all shadow ban and censor conservatives because of quote-unquote hate speech. So right off the bat, there are two things wrong with this. One, the left is shutting up conservatives again more than ever. And two, they justify their reasoning behind the shadow banning with hate speech. So I want to tackle both of these. But first, I want to get into hate speech and why it's a myth. So hate speech is defined by Merriam-Webster as, quote-unquote, speech that attacks a person of a gr or group on the basis of attributes such as race, religion, ethnic origin, national origin, sex, disability, sexual orientation, or gender identity. So this sounds awful, right? Well, it's also protected under the First Amendment. In fact, only obscenity, fighting words, defamation, including libel and slander, child, child pornography, perjury, blackmail, incitement to imminent laws, lawless action, true threats, and solicitations to commit crime are the only types of speech that are, are not protected under the First Amendment, and none of those include hate speech. But the one I really want to focus on since it's used to justify hate speech so much by the left is true threats. So true threats, according to Merriam-Webster, is quote-unquote, is a threatening communication that can be prosecuted under the law, and the definition of threatening communication, quote-unquote, is a threat communicated intent to inflict harm or loss on another person, end quote. So another phrase to describe threatening communication is call to action, which is pretty much the same thing, and it's also not protected under the Constitution. So 
call to action is how the left justifies the outcome of hate speech. And calls to action are not okay at all. But it turns out you need corroborating evidence to prove that it's in fact a call to action. And there's a difference between a call to action and free speech. For example, if someone would go out and tweet, I hate Brent Allen and I hope he gets shot and killed. And the next day I get shot and killed. That's not a call to action at all. That's just a person who hates me saying a very immoral thing about me. That's in contrast with somebody tweeting, I hate Brent Allen and I encourage you to go shoot and kill him. And the next day I get shot and killed with a gun. That's a call to action because that person encouraged and incited violence against me. So that's just another way of left-wing censorship. But the fact of the matter is that hate speech is not a legally defined term, meaning it's free speech, and free speech is a human right. But the left still has the audacity to go out and censor hundreds of thousands of conservatives per year. The number's probably way bigger than that. And I'm speaking on behalf of the little guy. Listen, I'm a populist. I look at the people at the bottom of the ladder first. And I know the left tries to say they do with their social programs and saying Republicans only care about the rich. But guess what? Yes, the left cares about the little guy. But only when they live their life, how the left designed it. And if you're a conservative, right-wing, nationalist, populist that freely expresses your views, then you're as good as rat's ass to them. So in conclusion, yes, we can come back from this. It'll take work. It'll take time. It'll probably take a couple decades at least, a quarter century. But if you do want it back to the good old days, then you got to fight for it. That's all for today. Sorry the uh, episode was a little bit shorter. Uh, it's my first solo episode, so pretty new to us, the podcast is new, but first solo episode. The next solo episode we'll do will be better. Not next one, though. Uh, I can't say who. I don't want to spoil it, but we got a badass person on next time. But anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. Tell your family, friends, neighbors, and even liberals. Always plug it. Always plug the show. Uh, Give it a rating. We really need a rating. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, it's a reminder. This is a reminder. If you don't do it, we won't be able to do this much longer because this show won't grow and we won't get enough support. So go do that right now. Before you forget, get up and do it. I don't know if you have to get up, but do it. I don't care how. You can write a note. Leave yourself a reminder. If you physically can't, do it. I don't know. Just do it. Leave a rating. Anyway, leave a rating and subscribe. Stay tuned for the upcoming Christmas episode. Peace out. The Brent Allen Podcast is an Anchor Publishing production. Anchor.fm 2018. Coming up on the Brent Allen Podcast. At Ben Shapiro censored. At Brent underscore Allen 94 censored. Hmm. What's this? At Alex Jones. I know! I'ma punch him in the nose! Those chemicals going in the water are making the frogs gay! You anti-American son of a Hmm. I guess I'll shut him up again. Hello? Mr. Zuckerberg, Mr. Sundar of Google would like to speak with you. Uh, just tell him I'm busy. Give a few Zuck bucks to him. I'm shadow banning the deplorables. It's an inside joke. Uh, no, I'm sorry. 
He's coming on the line right now. Oh, hello, brothers. Sandal Pichai here, CEO of Google. Hello, Sundar. Oh, Mark, do you remember the last time we saw each other on Capitol Hill for our political bias hearings? You made that shadow bearing deplorables inside joke. <laughs> yes, Sundar, I was just talking about that with Janet. Who is this Janet you speak of? My secretary. You know, secretary in my country is called slavery. I'm aware, Sundar. Now, what do you need exactly? Okay, so you know how liberals own practically the entirety of the internet? Y yes, I'm aware. You know how us liberals take over one step at a time? Yes. Well, I think it's time to start our next phase by releasing footage of Donald Trump discriminating against minorities. No. No, even better. Him beating Melania. Yes, would you like to record it now? Yes, let's do it. I have an audio recorder right here. Okay. Okay, let's start this. Hey, Melania. Yes, Donald? See that thing I just dropped? Yes, Donald? Pick it up. Okay, here. Like that. Bend over to pick it up. Put your back into it. Okay. Okay, what could possibly go wrong when- OH MY GOD, HE'S GOT ME DOWN IN THE BILL CLINTON HEADLOCK! Oh yeah, Melania, I'm gonna give you that Trump Tower. OH, PLEASE DON'T GRAB ME BY THE Okay, and tweeted, 10, 50, 1 million views. We just ruined that man's life. You know, I just realized something, Mark. What's under? Why are we criminalizing an innocent man without due process? Because, Sundar, we're Democrats. And if you let me cool you one time, you be my regular style. Alright, boys! I'm gonna put my vanilla pixie cups on flavors and push up to under ice cream man. Stop me with a bunch of five. See, now all my flavors are guaranteed to satisfy. Welcome back again to the Brent Allen Podcast. Today we have nobody on. Uh, yeah. It's a first solo episode. It's not that I didn't 
find anybody, but it's just that I kind of wanted to try it. I just kind of wanted to see how it uh, goes. But good news on the, I think Christmas Eve is when it will come out, 23rd or 24th. Um, we I told you we'd be prepared for the Christmas episode. The Christmas episode is coming out uh, with somebody you'll find out. But it's going to be badass. And we're going to have somebody on. And you're going to like him. Pretty big on Instagram. And, yeah, it's going to be badass. Uh, before we get into it, uh, please, right now, if you can, if you will, if you want to see the podcast grow, if you want to see it turn into this badass show, please head over to iTunes or whatever you're listening to it on right now and give the show a rating. We really need some ratings. Uh, I think we might have one. I'm not sure. I just checked. Um, I mean, excuse me. I didn't check. Um, I'm pretty sure if one or none, no ratings. Uh, I mean, if you don't, we're probably not going to be able to do this for much longer because the podcast won't grow and we won't get enough support. So go do that right now. Pause it right now. Just don't forget or just listen to it while you're doing it. I don't care. Whatever works for you. Um, if you can't do it right now, I don't know. Just leave, write a note. Leave yourself a reminder. I don't know. Just please give it a rating. Okay. Anyways, now it's time for liberal joke of the day. Why do liberals laugh three times when they hear a joke? Once when it is told. Once when it is explained to them. And once when they understand it. Okay. So now we're going to get into the news. But right before that, we are going to do our first ever Vox rebuttal. Um, I know what you're saying. I can't do this because Steven Crowder does it. Well, guess what? I can do it too. Not because I'm a Raging Mug Club fan, but because I've got a rip on the libtards. Okay? So, getting right into this, you probably know that Vox is one of the biggest leftist-backed news networks out there. Besides CNN and MSNBC, it's even worse than MSNBC. I mean, that's how you know it's bad. But the video we're going to be rebuttaling against is titled, quote-unquote, Fox News Keeps Breaking Its Own Rules. And it's pronounced and narrated, I guess you could say, by its one and only West Hollywood queer, Carlos Mazza. And by the way, I'm not homophobic, but I throw that out there that he's West Hollywood queer because he makes it a huge part of his identity. So I'll say it like that. Two. So, here we go. If you want to make progress, you really need to stop watching Fox News. It's breaking your brain. You need to stop. Stop watching Fox. So I was watching Hannity's show a few weeks ago, and something really weird happened. It was November 5th, and the show was airing from a Trump rally in Missouri. It's election eve. We're in the great show me state. How are you all doing? And while Hannity's show is always rah-rah Trump, this one felt especially campaign-y. So much is at stake in a few short hours. You ready? Hannity opened the show by running through a literal list of Trump's accomplishments, including gems like successful trip to Asia and drafted plan to defeat ISIS. 
Well, you got to start somewhere. He listed the Democrats' agenda if they won the midterms, including, of course, open borders. Yes, it was a successful trip to Asia. Even CNN agreed in their November 14th, 2017 article by Dan Marica titled, quote-unquote, Trump's Asia trip, six takeaways, end quote. The quote-unquote, the trip was a significant tr step for Trump, who had not ventured abroad since July, providing him with an opportunity to personally lean on countries in the region to do more combat to the rogue Asian nation, an issue that has become the president's premier foreign policy focus. I mean, this is why I can't stand Vox. I mean, their own people of their own party go against it because they completely, completely ignore facts. And yes, I give a little bit of credit to CNN. A couple of people on there, in fact, I kind of like and I watch regularly, like Jake Tapper and Wolf Blitzer, and they're pretty honest people. But ignoring that, CNN at least tries to use facts. Vox doesn't give a flying shit, okay? Vox just prays that other conservatives or other on-the-fence voters or whoever don't watch shows like this or don't watch people with actual logic that can rebut this so easily. But getting back to it, not to mention the extraordinary progress combating North Korea on that trip. So... Thank you, President Trump. And you mentioned ISIS. I can't even believe you would bring that up. As it was formed under the Obama administration, fueled by the Obama administration, by funding Palestine and Iran, and grew extraordinarily fast and powerful under Obama. Again, according to CNN, quote-unquote, the self-proclaimed Islamic State has conducted or inspired more than 140 terrorist attacks in 29 countries other than Iraq and Syria. Where its carnage has taken a much deadlier toll, those attacks have killed at least 2,043 people and injured thousands more. Oh, I forgot. It's not Obama's fault. Well, President George W. Bush, at the end of his presidency, warned America of the risk of withdrawing precipitously from Iraq. Yeah, he was right for once. This is why I don't agree with Trump either on this issue. And because he just announced that we'd formally withdraw from Syria, and I think we're going to be that back there in a decade, even quicker than that. But nevertheless, the United States military forces, under the direction of then-President Obama, quickly started a withdrawal from Iraq Then, when that was completed in 2011. Not coincidentally, by April of 2013, the Islamic State of Iraq had united with the Al-Nursha Front to form the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, ISIS. And then, by contrast, there's Trump, who under his administration has decimated ISIS. They're not defeated, but they are decimated. Don't believe me? Trump has cut Russia off from ISIS, who had been supporting and or doing nothing about ISIS, according to Post Times. Just like his campaign promised, he's bombed the shit out of them by dropping a Moab bomb on them in Afghanistan, killing 92 militants, militants working with Kurdish forces to recapture city after city. And what we took their stronghold, Raqqa, last year. So before you talk shit, should really consider backing it. Oh, I forgot. You're a Democrat. Lastly, yes, I think it's fair to say the Democrats back open borders under all costs. Let's just start with Hillary back in 2013 speaking to a Brazilian bank saying, quote-unquote, My dream is a hemisphere common market with open trade and open borders sometime in the future with energy that is as clean and 
green and sustainable as we get it. Power and growth and opportunity for every person in the hemisphere. That not enough? On July 18th of this year, 2018, the House voted on a bill that continued support for ICE officers, state law enforcement, and military personnel who bring law enforcement and order to our nation's borders. You want to know the results on the Democrats' behalf? Of the 197, 18 Democrats voted for this resolution. 35 voted no. And the other 133 dodges this issue altogether by voting present. And of course, they complain that the vote was just a political stunt. The vote also came after eight Democrats co-sponsored an actual abolish ICE bill. But it wasn't a stunt, wasn't it? It was, right? Nope. The abolished ICE movement took off among Democrats in the wake of open borders, socialist, progressive Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's surprise victory in the New York primary, primaries. Since then, she's called for protesters to occupy ICE offices around the country. Not to mention, the head of the Democratic National Committee, Tom Pierce, labeled her the future of the Democratic Party. Listen. For years, Democrats have tried to portray themselves as tough on border security, and they're not. They're not. If they cared, we would not have 20 million illegals living in this country right now. Next clip. <coughs> he constantly repeated the phrase, promises made, promises kept. Promises made, promises kept. Promises made, promises kept. Which, surprise, surprise, was one of the GOP's midterm slogans. Promises made, promises kept. And he tried to put on a brave face before the impending blue wave. So what are we going to see tomorrow? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, polls are meaningless. They are meaningless. The show ended with Hannity privately interviewing Trump in a coffin, I think. Promises made, promises kept. Promises made, promises kept. Promises made, promises kept. I could keep saying that. My show's not a giant campaign operation, you dumbass. Just because a journalist uses a phrase that their party uses as a slogan doesn't mean they're fundraising or supporting them in the campaign trail. And I love how you say Republicans are the ones contributing to the campaigns. When Hillary Clinton in 2016, in her 2016 presidential run, received some of the biggest donations by left-wing journalists in U.S. history. For example, according to the Center for Public Integrity, which is an independent, non-biased source, by the way, quote-unquote, New York New Yorker television critic Emily Nussbaum, pretty sure that's how you pronounce it, a newly minted Pulitzer Prize winner, spent the Republican National Convention pen-pricking presidential nominee Donald Trump as a misogynist, shinsteroning as a quote-unquote ugly and xenophobic campaign. What Nussbaum didn't disclose in her dispatches, she contributed $250 to Democrat Hillary Clinton in April. And Carol Simpson, a former ABC World News Tonight anchor who did in 1992 became the first African-American woman to moderate a presidential debate and is not moderate about her personal politics. The current Emerson College Distinguished Journalist and resident, Residence and Regular TV News guest has given Clinton $2,800. Ooh, and I know you're probably saying that right-wing journalists contributed just as much as Trump as the left did for Clinton. Not really. If you look at the numbers, according to the Center for Public Integrity Ana Analysis, again, quote unquote, people identified in federal campaign finance filings as journalists, reporters, news editors, or television news anchors, as well as other donors known to be working in journalism, has have combined to give more than three hundred ninety-six thousand to the presidential campaigns of Clinton and Trump. Nearly all of that money, more, more than listen to this, more than ninety-six percent has benefited Clinton. About 430 people who work in journalism have, through August of 2016, combined to give about 
$382,000 to the Democratic nominee. That leaves Trump with just under $12,000 from journalists. And before we get any deeper, what this guy will constantly try to do this entire video is plant the seed in your head that Republicans are the ones getting the campaign contributions way more than Democrats, and that's 100% false. And lastly, he makes a decently good point. Decently. I give him a little bit of credit. Um, I mean, I get why he's kind of shocked at Hannity for saying this, but at the end of the clip, he says the polls are meaningless, and in midterms, not necessarily. You see, in midterm elections, it's much more centered around fundraising, which makes it pretty predictable. Uh, that's why you just saw the pretty much entire country predicted the Democrats would take the House and the Republicans would pick up a seat or two in the Senate. And that's exactly what happened. But in federal elections, it's a lot more like culture and demographics. And, for example, ignoring the 99% chance Hillary would win by the New York Times, non-biased sources said it was about a 60-40 chance Hillary would win. And, oh, well, it turned out 50-50, didn't it? But I didn't see this whole clip. Maybe he was talking about 2016. I don't know. Knowing Vox, he'd snip this clip out to their advantage. But if he was talking about the midterms, I don't know what he's talking about. Next clip. Asking hardball questions like, you spent $3.5 billion on the border wall, and I know you're disappointed. You want the rest. And that was the end of the show. But the weirdness was only beginning. See, a few days earlier, the Trump campaign announced that Hannity would be appearing as a special guest during the rally. Hannity denied that he'd appear on stage, claiming he was only going there to interview Trump. But a few minutes after Hannity's show finished airing... Let's get it over with, right? Sean Hannity, come on up. Sean Hannity. Promises made, promises kept. By the way, all those people in the back are fake news. That freaked a lot of people out. And not just because Hannity was literally calling other Fox News reporters in the room fake news. Fox News issued a statement saying they didn't condone talent participating in campaign events. And Hannity claimed the whole thing was a total surprise. The president? I had no idea. It was not planned. And then, nothing. The midterms came and went, Hannity went back to his show, and that was it. Welcome to Hannity. Jam-packed hour. What would have been an immediate firing on any other network was barely a PR blip for Fox. Because as shocking as that whole fiasco might look, it's just the latest example in how Fox News is transforming from a right-wing news network into a full-blown campaign operation. Dipshit, I know you're not very smart or don't interpret comedy very well, but if you could see Hannity smiling up on the podium calling all the networks fake news, it means he's mocking the president in a friendly way. You have the power to shock the world again. Just think of what it's going to be like to watch the corrupt media. They will lose their minds. I want to start off by saying this is not a video about Fox News being too conservative. It is normal for journalists to have political beliefs. Hannity is obviously a right-winger, and I am obviously an Antifa super soldier. Okay, and before we get any more into it, what Vox will constantly try to do, and they do this in all their past videos, uh, they do it in all their videos, like gun control and abortion, what they constantly try to do is plant the seed in your head of their standards that don't ally with what the left does. For example, in this video, what you'll see I'm saying is Vox doesn't ask hardball questions, and then you take a peek over at CNN, and you see they do the same exact thing, if not worse, probably worse. So it's just hypocrisy at the highest order they change their standards and when it doesn't align with them their facts i guess you could say and later in the video they just start spewing nonsense and yeah they do it the whole video but it's 
Just, you can see it. Next clip. What's not normal is for news organizations to be directly involved in campaigns they're covering. It's why you've never seen Rachel Maddow give a stump speech for Democrats. It's unethical. Also, that speech would be 45 minutes long and never get to the point. Eh. Not again. As an experiment, I asked my bosses if I could speak at a Democratic campaign rally that I made up because I have too much free time on my hands. And here's what they said. No. Come on. Of course not. Why not? Because you're a journalist. You're not working for a campaign. This is a pretty widely accepted rule in journalism, and it's actually one that Fox News used to follow. In 2010, Hannity spent a week promoting his appearance at a Tax Day Tea Party rally in Cincinnati. Tax Day, we will be in Cincinnati, and hopefully you can be a part of the studio audience. But after Fox News found out the rally organizers were using Hannity's appearance to sell tickets, they pulled the plug. News Corp CEO Rupert Murdoch said, I don't think we should be supporting the Tea Party or any other party. And that was the last time Fox News pretended to give a shit. In 2016, Hannity appeared in a Bananas pro-Trump campaign ad. Of course, he's going to build that wall. He says he's going to have Mexico pay for it. John, you shot it on an iPhone with a tucked-in polo? If any other journalist did that, they'd be so ridiculously fired. But Fox News did not fire Hannity. Instead, they said they didn't know he was appearing in the ad and promised that he wouldn't do it again. And journalists are unable to stop candidates from using copyright news clips and ads. And also, journalists appearing in campaign ads happen very often, actually. This has been an issue as far back as 2001 following a specific case in which a candidate used C-SPAN footage of an opponent, including the network's logo and intro, as a campaign ad, according to the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. That not enough? Well, sometimes stations or networks will challenge campaigns for using their footage without permission. In the 2008 presidential campaign, for example, both major party candidates, McCain and Obama, <coughs> received cease and desist letters from major networks for, use, for their use of networks clips. However, particularly when using a short news clip as just one portion of an ad, courts have generally come down on the side of campaigns considering the material to be quote-unquote fair use. According to the copyright Dot gov. Fair use is the legal principle that allows the use of copyrighted material without permission in some limited circumstances, depending on the purpose of the use with educational, non-commercial, and political speech, more likely to be considered fair use. The nature of the copyrighted work with use of factual items like news stories, more likely to be considered fair use than more creative, imaginative works of fiction, the effect of the original on the original copyrighted copyright holder, and whether the unlicensed use will hurt the market for the original work the amount of work used with the use of a short clip more likely to be considered fair use than the key element or entire piece and this incident happens quite often just a couple months ago in august of this year uh the cbs denver news director tim wyland got into a fight with whoever accused him of the exact same thing hannity is being accused for by fox in this tweet he says quote unquote campaigns are allowed to use our news reporting for two reasons. First, the Supreme Court determined political advertising is considered to be constitutionally protected free speech. Second, courts have ruled that using our content in political advertising is allowed under quote-unquote fair use. Not to mention, this same guy, Tim Wyland, worked for CNN in the past, so I think it's fair to say that he's somewhere around the left spectrum. But getting back to what I said a minute ago about short clips and political ads being protected by fair use, that's literally the same thing that happened in the Trump 2016 ad the Latina queer presented in the video. In this video, titled Heart, Hashtag Heartland for Trump, published September 20th, 2016, it was eight minutes and one second long. You want to know how long Hannity was in there? 
Just 33 seconds. Also, there were 21 people in that ad excluding Hannity and Trump. So I think it's fair to say that is fair use. And the queer Latina Vox leftist didn't know what the hell he's talking about. And since then, the problem has exploded. Hannity now regularly appears at Republican fundraising and campaign events. Here he is campaigning for Ted Cruz in Texas. We need Ted Cruz now more than ever. And for Ron DeSantis in Florida. The media hates that I'm here, and I'm like, too bad. But it's not even just Hannity anymore. Pete Hegseth, who co-hosts Fox and Friends on the weekend, has repeatedly spoken at GOP fundraisers. Here he is in Washington in 2017. Keep giving, keep fighting. Don't apologize for President Trump. Here he is in Tennessee in April. Please write a bigger check than you thought you were going to write tonight. He does a ton of these. We are correct. That's why you're a Republican. Here's Fox host Laura Ingram campaigning for Republican Kelly Ward in Arizona. Let's push her over the finish line. Let's get it done for Kelly. Right after Hannity got pulled on stage at that Trump rally, another Fox host, Janine Pirro, also went on stage. Get them out to vote for Donald Trump and all the people who are running for the Republican Party. Okay, so here I think he makes an okay point. Should Republicans be speaking at these fundraisers and campaigning for these candidates? No, it goes against the SPJ ethics of journalism, which states, quote-unquote, the SPJ ethics committee gets a significant number from, of questions about whether journalists should engage in political activity. The simplest answer is no. Don't do it. Don't get involved. Don't contribute money. Don't work in a campaign. Don't lobby, and especially don't run for office yourself. So again, I condemn what Fox is doing with these fundraisers. But I love how he says, Fox is a Republican campaign operation, while Google, Twitter, and Facebook are all Democratic Party fronts. And I especially love what he says in the last part, don't lobby. The left did the exact opposite of that. Go back and look what I said just a minute ago. According to a Center for Public Integrity and Analysis, people identified in federal campaign finance filings as journalists, reporters, news editors, television news anchors, as well as other donors known to be working in journalism, journalism have combined to give more than $396,000 to a presidential campaigns of Clinton and Trump. Nearly all of that money, more than 96% of has benefited Clinton. About 430 people who work in journalism have, through August of 2016, combined to give about $382,000 to the Democratic nominee. But what the left is doing is definitely not disobeying the SPJ ethics of journalism either. And this is where the Vox hypocrisy kicks in. This is what I said at the very beginning of the rebuttal. Fox sets these standards for everybody else, and then when they, ch they change them, when they don't add up with their twisted, quote-unquote, facts. Next clip. Piro has bragged about speaking at GOP fundraisers on TV. Last night I was in Morgantown, West Virginia, where I gave a speech at the annual Republican Reagan dinner. She's a constant fixture at GOP fundraisers across the country. God, you gotta love that sorority pose, though. I'm getting away with it. The problem goes deeper than Fox hosts appearing at these events. These campaigns are now slowly infecting Fox News programming. Before Hannity went on stage at that Trump rally, he went district by district attacking individual Democrats. Liberal, radical, leftist, incumbent, Claire McCaskill, radical, leftist, Democrat, Kristen Cinema, Democratic, do-nothing, Schumer, Democrat, Bill Nelson, while endorsing Republican candidates. American hero, Martha McSally, Bob Hugan, Marine, Semper Fi, Bob, Ted Cruz needs to be back in the U.S. Senate. Wait a minute. I thought he said at the very beginning of the video that it's not about Fox News being too conservative and all journalists have their own political beliefs. Hmm. Just another example of how Vox flip-flops their claims after it doesn't add up. Next clip. 
It wasn't the first time he'd done that. Hannity had been running that segment for days before the midterms. We will point out 10 key races a night so you know if it's your district that matters. Republican Mark Harris, he needs your help. We need that seat to stay Republican. And again, it's not just Hannity. If you call yourself a conservative and a Republican, it's actually immoral not to vote for Donald Trump. Vote for the America that is great again. Okay, and I love how gay Latina Fox Sprite queer calls what Laura Ingram just said here, quote-unquote, immoral. But when the Armenian genocide denying pieces of human shit over at TYT yell, shame on women who voted for Trump, that's okay and completely moral. That's fine. Next clip. Great again. And the more comfortable Fox has gotten with campaigning, the more GOP candidates are relying on Fox as part of their campaign strategies. Look at this softball interview Hannity did with GOP candidate Karen Housley in October. Karen Housley is with us. Karen, let's talk about Keith Ellison and the double standard. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me, Sean. What the? That is not a question. That is a campaign stuff. And Housley knew it. She immediately repackaged that interview into a campaign. You can win this race. I believe <laughs> that... Lots of Republicans do this now. Clip Hannity's softball coverage and repackage it for their campaign. A former police chief, Eddie Edwards, I'm with the police chief tonight. Republican challenger, Wendy Rogers, in a district that President Trump only carried by one point. By the way, good luck in your run for governor down in South Carolina. I have a lot of friends down there. And the Democrats don't do this too? I can name a dozen times right now when Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's answers for their vision of the socialist America on CNN, MSNBC, and ABC, and how they're going to pay for a $40 trillion Medicare for all price tag didn't get answered because... The time ran out. So don't act like Fox is the only one that does this dipshit, especially around election time. Next clip. It's become cliche to mock Fox News as Trump TV or state propaganda. But what's happened over the past few years goes way beyond ideology. Congressman DeSantis joins us now. Full disclosure, I did do town halls with him. And I endorsed you, and I don't regret it. Fox News is quietly allowing itself to evolve into a massive, highly influential get-out-the-vote operation. Congressman DeSantis, congratulations. I remember you and I talking after we did that debate on Fox News, and you were like, you're not going to be behind much longer after this. And sure enough, I mean, we really... Pulled ahead. The problem isn't that Hannity got on stage at a campaign event. It's that Fox News is the campaign event. One that's becoming deeply embedded in the GOP's strategy for winning elections from here on out. Really, or is it Russia? Because what the Democrats will constantly try to do is blame everybody else that will have the loosest ties with the Republican Party, like Russia, to try to justify why they didn't get their way. And guess what? Yes, Fox News has an impact on midterms and federal elections. And so does MSNBC and CNN and NBC and ABC and CRTV and The Daily Wire and just about any other news network or source because it turns out the more liberal influence you have around people equals the more liberals. The more conservative influence equals the more conservatives and so on. And finally, to rebuttal against their claim, no, Fox News is not a giant campaign operation. No, I don't like their heavy involvement in campaigns and fundraising. But guess what? The left does the exact same things, and the problem is that the Vox has this double standard hypocritical mindset, and they won't combat facts with honesty or integrity. Okay, so moving on to our next rant is the Oscars and Kevin Hart. So right off the bat, if you keep up with the American mainstream media, you probably know that the Oscars is one of the biggest chances for the left to get out their agenda in an audience of millions. So last week on 
yeah, last week, uh, on Tuesday, the Oscars nominated Kevin Hart to be their host, and, I mean, I thought this was a pretty good choice, considering Kevin Hart has stayed out of the left-wing political scam all the way in, up until, I believe, in August of this year at the VMAs when he made those non-aggressively weird comments about Trump, the, about the Trump White House, but, I mean, overall, he's been pretty neutral, and I think he's a good guy. He's pretty funny comedian. His movies are great, not so much his stand-up. But getting back to it, Hart in this last week was nominated by the Oscars to be uh, its host for 2019, and he was really excited. He posted a picture on Instagram of an Oscar trophy and a paragraph saying, quote-unquote, For years I have been asked if I would ever host the Oscars, and my answer was always the same. I said that I would, uh, I said that I would, be the opportunity I said that it would be the opportunity of a lifetime for me as a comedian and that it would happen when it's supposed to I am so happy to say that the day has finally come for me to host the Oscars I am blown away simply because this has been a goal for go on my list for a long time to be able to join the legendary list of hosts that have graced this stage is unbelievable I know my mom is smiling from ear to ear right now I want to thank my family friends fans for supporting me and riding me all this time I'll be sure to make this year's Oscar a special Oscar a special one. I appreciate the at Acad- the Academy for the opportunity. Now it's time to rise to the occasion. Hashtag Oscars, and just like many others, and just like many other people that don't even oppose the left but just want to stay neutral, their career and life gets ruined by some stupid thing they said a decade ago, literally. So a couple days ago. The left-wing social media mob dug up some of Kevin Hart's old anti-gay tweets that said, quote-unquote, at Kevin Hart for real isn't funny either. You look like a gay version of Chris Brown. Put a shirt on. F. Another sold-out, quote-unquote, sold-out weekend for at Kevin Hart for real in New York. Fun times, but I'm tired. You're such a bitch, man. We will ZZZ when I die. F-A-G. Okay, at Kevin Hart for real. Okay, okay, we get it. Your girl smart. What up with the sneaks, FAG boy? I got you this week. Why does at Wayne two fifteen have so many pictures of me on his phone? What are you, some type of fat FAG that takes pics of small black men all day? At Wayne two fifteen, LMAO. That's why you sweat for no reason. You fat faced FAG. At Sydney is funny. Thanks, FAG boy. At BT1. Uh, at BT21. And I. N word. Shut yo. Tevin Cambo looking ass off. You can't be a thug with a Chinese tattoo on your arm. FAG. Boom. I mean, do you really think Kevin Hart believes the same things that he did back in 2010? And the one that's probably getting the most attention is the one back in January of 2011 that said, quote unquote, yo, if my son comes home and tries to play with my daughter's dollhouse. I'm going to break it over his head and say in my end voice, stop, that's gay. Okay, and if you actually think Kevin Hart is going to break his daughter's dollhouse over his son's head, then you're an utter idiot. I can name a dozen reasons on why he doesn't want his son to be gay. I mean, most parents don't want their sons to be gay with the problems that follow, such as personal, political, and emotional problems that entail. The guy's a comedian leftist twats and unfortunately the academy told him to step down or be kicked off and his agents probably called him and told him to step down so that's what he did on this tweet and in this tweet on the 6th it says quote unquote i've made the choice to step down from hosting this year's oscars 
This is because I do not want to be a distraction on a night that should be celebrated by so many people, so many talent, amazing talented artists. I sincerely apologize to the LGBTQ community for my past and sensitive words from my past. I'm sorry that I hurt people. I am evolving and want to continue to do so. My goal is to bring people together and not tear us apart. Much love and appreciation to the Academy. I hope we can meet again. So my outtake to this is just like a dozen other comedians, celebrities, politicians, etc. What the left will constantly and continuously try to do is mow people down with not even opposing views, but views they don't want to publicly announce and dig up comments not necessarily racist or sexist or homophobic or Islamophobic, but insensitive and offensive to a particular group. And listen, I'm not defending his words, but if you didn't realize by now, Kevin Hart is a comedian, not a politician or somebody that has to act professional and cater to every ethnic and minority group every second of their career. Should he have said that? No, of course not. But the fact of the matter is that he was obviously joking. And these multicultural, SJW, Black Lives Matter, feminists, leftists, have to go out and dig up a few offensive things that a comedian, out of all people, said a decade ago and ruined his career and his life intentionally. Okay, and on to our main topic of the episode, left-wing censorship in schools and the workplace. So if you're familiar with everyday American life, I can guarantee you know a little bit about voicing your opinion as a conservative and being shut down by a liberal. So now we're going to give you a timeline of how America went from a place of intellectual diversity to a place of liberal censorship. So now we're going to tell the story just to show how intolerant the hypocritical left is. Story time. So before we start this, I think it's important to define censorship. According to Merriam-Webster, censorship is, quote-unquote, the suppression or prohibition of any parts of books, films, news, etc. that are considered obscene, politically unacceptable, or a threat to security. Okay, now let's go over that real quick. Books, no, not really. Film, and not really. News, yep. They are considered obscene, politically unacceptable, or a threat to security by the left, but in reality, it's harmless. So we're going to unravel the lies and intolerance by the left. Here we go. So, you have to go back to June 21st, 1788. America was a new nation, but it wasn't all that peaceful as you may have heard. We were divided. No national con- currency. No president. There were the Articles of Confederation, though. They were weak and ineffective. So when the Founding Fathers realized this, they went back to Philadelphia and rewrote it. The result was the Constitution. America's government. The law of the land. And on June 21st, 1788, was ratified, with New Hampshire being the ninth state, ninth state to vote on it. The Constitution would begin on March 4, 1789, and be changed and ratified a few other times after the Constitution was created, including the Bill of Rights. It was meant to be flexible for one reason and one reason only. Innovations, inventions, and new technology. Not because it doesn't align with the party's interests. This also applies to the Second Amendment, which the left clearly doesn't give two shits about. But getting back to the Constitution was just ratified. It was new. The nation was already starting to divide. So where does it go from here? Well, you have to fast forward a couple hundred years. America was in a crisis. Many were talking about a second civil war. Hmm, sounds familiar. Same old Democrats. But anyway, this is a time where we're in a Cold War, battling communism, Korea, and and Vietnam. Stakes were high. But in 1964, the parties mysteriously flipped. And the Republicans were suddenly the racists, and the Democrats are the party of cultural and religious diversity, open-mindedness, and accepting people who freer they are. No, not really. I explained this back in episode 3. The parties never flipped. The Democrats removed the father from the black homes to control the youth. They used identity politics and intersectionality, which is still, still, even to the second, tearing the social fabric apart today. 
and created these laws and institutions that ruined the lives of millions of African Americans. Not to mention, the Democrats were the only, the only ones who stalled and opposed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So the left started censoring the right the first chance they got, starting with the Department of Education. Not to mention, the Department of Education is extremely unconstitutional. Over the 31 years since its creation by liberal failure of President Jimmy Carter, the ED has systematically and unconstitutionally intruded on the freedom of the states, promoted liberal-style multiculturalism, and racist affirmative action programs, discriminated against Christians work, working in local schools, and promoted the secular atheist ideology, which is one of the main factors behind the decline of educational standards in both primary and secondary education. And then you wonder, you wonder why the American education system is so far behind. The left likes to look at Germany and China and see that they're so far ahead. Let me ask you something. Today, in 2018, if you march right into any social studies classroom in this country and ask the teacher why the students are learning American history, 99.99999% of the time, they're going to say, so they have the proper material to exceed onto the next grade. That's not what the Founding Fathers and the education reform in the 1830s intended to do at all. History class in American schools are meant to teach generation after generation why America is so great and the values of American and Christian culture and how to be an American patriot. The le then, then came left-wing political indoctrination in the education system. As early as the 90s, across college campuses, and then the intolerance trickled down through high schools and grade schools. This is how you have a politically correct school system with liberal teachers bullying peaceful conservatives and MAGA hats. This has been going on ever since the 90s and has gotten so much worse ever since. So now the left has control of the schools and the black community. So what's next? They took over the Internet. Amongst the indoctrination in the 90s came the rise of most social media sites and Internet monopolies such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Google. This doesn't seem like such a bad thing, does it? Just a couple of Democrats trying to make a living and innovate the internet, right? Nope. As much as I like to go on Twitter and Instagram, I hate, I absolutely hate the people that run it. And what I mean by that is the people that run these social media and internet corporations are all far leftists and liars. For example, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey are self-described independents, but they constantly vote blue every chance they get. Google CEO Sundar Pichai, I think that's how you say it, he was in the skit, plans to launch a search engine in China. And Susan Wojcicki is a registered Democrat who has endorsed Hillary Clinton several times back in 2016. Besides, all being CEOs of the top internet corporations, they all have one thing in common. They all shadow ban and censor conservatives because of quote-unquote hate speech. So right off the bat, there are two things wrong with this. One, the left is shutting off conservatives again more than ever. And two, they justify the reasoning behind the shadow banning with hate speech. So I want to tackle both of these. But first, I want to get into hate speech and why it's a myth. So hate speech is defined by Merriam-Webster as, quote-unquote, speech that attacks a person of a gr or group on the basis of attributes such as race, religion, ethnic origin, national origin, sex, disability, sexual orientation, or gender identity. So, this sounds awful, right? Well, it's also protected under the First Amendment. In fact, only obscenity, fighting words, defamation, including libel and slander, child, child pornography, perjury, blackmail, incitement to imminent laws, lawless action, true threats, and solicitations to commit crime 
are the only types of speech that are are not protected under the First Amendment, and none of those include hate speech. But the one I really want to focus on, since it's used to justify hate speech so much by the left, is true threats. So true threats, according to Merriam-Webster, is quote-unquote, is a threatening communication that can be prosecuted under the law, and the definition of threatening communication, quote-unquote, is a threat communicated intent to inflict harm or loss on another person, end quote. So another phrase to describe threatening communication is call to action, which is pretty much the same thing, and it's also not protected under the Constitution. So call to action is how the left justifies the outcome of hate speech, and calls to action are not okay at all, but it turns out you need corroborating evidence to prove that it's in fact a call to action. And there's a difference between a call to action and free speech. For example, if someone would go out and tweet, I hate Brent Allen, and I hope he gets shot and killed, and the next day I get shot and killed, that's not a call to action at all. That's just a person who hates me saying a very immoral thing about me. That's in contrast with somebody tweeting, I hate Brent Allen, and I encourage you to go shoot and kill him, and the next day I get shot and killed with a gun. That's a call to action because that person encouraged and incited violence against me. So that's just another way of left-wing censorship. But the fact of the matter is that hate speech is not a legally defined term, meaning it's free speech, and free speech is a human right. But the left still has the audacity to go out and censor hundreds of thousands of conservatives per year. The number's probably way bigger than that. And I'm speaking on behalf of the little guy. Listen, I'm a populist. I look at the people at the bottom of the ladder first. And I know the left tries to say, they do with their social programs and saying Republicans only care about the rich. But guess what? Yes, the left cares about the little guy, but only when they live their life how the left designed it. And if you're a conservative, right-wing, nationalist, populist that freely expresses your views, then you're as good as rat's ass to them. So in conclusion, yes, we can come back from this. It'll take work. It'll take time. It'll probably take a couple decades at least, a quarter century. But if you do want it back to the good old days, then you gotta fight for it. That's all for today. Sorry the uh, episode was a little bit shorter. Uh, it's my first solo episode, so pretty new to us. The podcast is new, really. But first solo episode. The next solo episode we'll do will be better. Not next one, though. Uh, I can't say who. I don't want to spoil it. But we got a badass person on next time. But anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. Tell your family, friends, neighbors, and even liberals. Always plug it. Always plug the show. Uh, Give it a rating. We really need a rating. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, it's a reminder. This is a reminder. If you don't do it, we won't be able to do this much longer because this show won't grow and we won't get enough support. So go do that right now. Before you forget, get up and do it. I don't know if you have to get up, but do it. I don't care how. You can write a note, leave yourself a reminder. If you physically can't, do it. I don't know. Just do it. Leave a rating. Anyway, leave a rating and subscribe. Stay tuned for the upcoming Christmas episode. Peace out. The Brent Allen Podcast is an Anchor Publishing production. Anchor.fm 2018.